3: SUPER JACKPOT!
0: Welcome to Extra Plasm Podcast. It's the only podcast on the internet that donates money to progressive charitable causes while drinking cocktails made by the director of a Ghostbusters movie. And if you think I'm kidding, for once the opening line of the podcast is actually kind of true and not an entire joke. I'm Jim Meritato, aka Vink Maniac on the internet, and I'm excited to be talking to you this week for a recap on an Extra Plasm field trip. This weekend my partner Leah and I had the opportunity to attend a benefit screening of Ghostbusters Answer the Call along with a Q&A and cocktail hour hosted by none other than director Paul Feig and his co-writer Katie Dippel. The event was a benefit screening for the Good Deed Corps, a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose important work serves to foster ballot access, voter registration, and democratic engagement with underrepresented communities. They run a great series of events called Stars in the Backyard that Leah and I have attended before and each is truly special. They are essentially screenings that are attended by a handful of people, meaning a few hundred at best, uh, who are in presence with the either director or star of a film. They show the film with the person present, uh, giving you a certain curtain speech talking about the movie. And then there's a Q&A that follows. And often there's a VIP event. And in this case, the VIP event was a cocktail hour that we got to appreciate and enjoy with Paul Feig. Uh, and so the work that the Good Deed Corps does is really important and really great. The fundraising that they do through these events works to support voter engagement, uh, ballot access, et cetera, for people in underrepresented communities such as youth in Texas that they currently work with, as well as in Georgia, where they're working with folks who are currently or are typically not represented within ballots or that struggle to get access, uh, communities of color, et cetera. And so, uh, it's a really important and worthwhile cause that they work with. And you can find out a lot more about what they do at thegooddeedcore.org. It's a really good place to go, by the way, if you're at the end of the year and you need to do something with some money, like donate it, uh, you know, so you can deduct it from your taxes. Not that I'm Lewis Tully and can give you such advice, but I digress. But you know, look into it. Talk to your accountant. Check with your people. Um, but if you need a great organization to donate to, uh, the Good Deed Core does some amazing and fantastic work. But this week, Leah is going to join us in the traditional interview and commentary segment of the show as we tell you a bit about our trip and share some insights we gleaned from the commentary and our thoughts about the movie with some of those new insights as background context. And if you're willing to endure the less than ideal audio quality, you'll find a compiled recording of the entire Q&A included at the back end of this episode. I want to say thank you so much to the Good Deed Corps and to Paul Feig and Katie Dippold for hosting a wonderful and intimate event where, you know, a couple hundred of us gathered to laugh together and an even smaller number of us got to have drinks and talk with Paul. And when I say you have drinks with Paul, I- I'm not kidding. Um, if you have any doubt about his cocktail knowledge, despite the fact that he has an amazing Instagram live stream uh, where he was making cocktails during the pandemic and his book Cocktail Time, uh, I watched the man make drinks for over an hour while meeting and greeting with fans. He was gracious, kind and skilled behind the bar the entire time, And it was truly a unique and wonderful evening that I'm glad to bring you some coverage of this week, even if it's not about the most recent of Ghostbusters movies or necessarily the most beloved. And on that point, just real quick, a quick little editorial note for the uh, listenership. Uh, If you are a person who hears this movie's name answer the call uttered and immediately turns to the closest person they know in a flight suit to begin bonding with that person by slagging on the movie this episode might not be your favorite because we're going to talk about that movie a lot. And if that's the case, feel free to come back next week. Uh, But one thing I will ask of you is if you don't uh, particularly this film, I don't need to hear about it Um, because even in the process of marketing, uh, you know, this event and trying to share information out there to tell folks that it was happening, I could not believe the number of personal DMS I got or comments from people who had to tell me how much they don't like answer the call. As I was saying, come out and support a charitable event that benefits democracy, Um, which is a really weird look for anybody who did that. Um, And I don't necessarily think those people listen to the podcast, but it's worth mentioning. If that's your bag, if you like to sort of rip on answer the call, don't make this the week that you decide to reach out to me at Extraplasm on Instagram or Extraplasm on X to tell me about it. Instead, reach out and tell me something else that you enjoy about Ghostbusters. But. Um, I digress. You know, I don't mean to sort of bury us in that as we begin this conversation, but it's worth mentioning. I I say later on in this episode that I think that out of every 10 Ghostbusters fans, there's at least three who need to tell me how they don't like this movie. Um, And if that's you, um, I don't know, just maybe this week, just kind of save that and keep it to yourself, because I really would like to appreciate what we had uh, over the course of the weekend and not have to worry about who doesn't like the movie and who wouldn't have come to the event? And <laughs> We'll leave it at that. But before we can get into talking about uh, this awesome field trip we went on, we should be sure we do talk about what is happening with the most recent Ghostbusters movie or the one that's yet to come. So let's go ahead and do that. And we're going to do that in Ghostbusters headlines.
4: Still making headlines
1: all across the country, the Ghostbusters are at it again. Today, the entire eastern seaboard is alive with talk of incidents of paranormal activity. On in topic today, ghosts and ghostbusting. The
0: extra plasm, read all about it. Ghostbusters headlines coming at ya. To start us off in Ghostbusters headlines this week, we need to talk about the film called Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. Uh, that we can now call that every week as opposed to Firehouse. Although I'll admit in this past week, I certainly called the movie Firehouse by accident to somebody because I've just stuck with it. But uh, we need to talk about Frozen Empire for a few minutes because there's been some news that's come out about the filming of that movie or rather the continued filming of that movie. We have been under the impression that that film was sort of wrapped on filming uh, and that all of the principal photography had been done back in uh, June before the strike went into effect. But it turns out that there are, in fact, some reshoots or at least some additional shooting uh, moments that are happening. Ghostbusters News has reported on this this week, noting uh, that there is an appearance that McKenna Grace was supposed to be making at a convention in the UK uh, that she's no longer able to make. Apparently, the convention called For the Love of Sci-Fi has begun announcing via its social media that McKenna Grace will no longer be able to attend because she has some additional filming to do for the upcoming Ghostbusters movie. Uh, This also fits alongside some other information that's come out on social media in the last week where folks have identified uh, yellow signs noting that there were street closures in Brooklyn uh, for a filming in progress for something called, quote unquote, firehouse, uh, because that is still, of course, the production name for the for the movie in terms of its working title. So it's still used in the production uh, and permits and things like that that are being used. So. Uh, apparently something was happening in New York, in New York City, uh, but it was not necessarily like mainstream principal photography. Rather, what was happening, according to Ghostbusters News, was some filming that went on for VFX shots um, and didn't really involve anyone who was a, an actor there or even the Ecto-1. So the point here, though, is that there's still some filming going on. The film is still uh, slated to be happening in spring based off of what we were told uh, when the trailer came out. But, you know, there's still obviously some production underway. Uh, How much they need to be shooting or reshooting is unclear. But the reality is that Frozen Empire is still an actively being or an active production uh, in terms of what's going on with it. The film is not locked. It's not ready for production or rather, even though we've seen that there has been a work print made of it. Uh, that we know that was previewed by Jason and Gil, uh, the film, whatever they're working on with it, is going through some additional changes or reshoots. That doesn't mean anything bad. Quite frankly, I've been laughing and suggesting that these may not even be reshoots as much as they may just be shoots Um, because there are some things that, you know, you never had your principal actors in New York doing uh, filming because by the time they were wrapping up in the UK, the strike was underway. So, this is really their first opportunity to get some of these actors back on set to pick up things uh, if they need to or to do, uh, you know, little asides or little moments they need to capture in a location that they couldn't otherwise do in the UK, et cetera. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see what is filmed or where this turns up or if we get to see any additional images before the movie comes out or if the rest of it will be kind of kept under lock and key. But if there's any additional news, we'll let you know about it. For now, um, you know, we're going to maintain that if it's not put out, of course, as a a piece of um, marketing or a piece of trailer, et cetera, from Sony Pictures or from Ghost Core, we probably won't talk about it directly and give you spoilers on it. But uh, if anything does take place, rest assured that we'll have the info for you as it was revealed to us. The other piece of Ghostbusters Frozen Empire news that came out this week is that there are five storyboard images that have been released by the artist uh, from the storyboarding of the trailer. If you go over to Ghostbusters news, you can find the article on this. The title of the article is storyboard artist gives behind the scenes, look at Ghostbusters frozen empire. And essentially there are five images in comparison that have been released by artist Heiko Von Drangenberg. And I apologize uh, to that artist if I am butchering that name, Uh, but they are essentially comparison shots of proposed storyboards versus the actual shots from the trailer um i always find this kind of stuff fascinating because it's kind of how the sausage was made you get to see what was the concept and then how did it turn out and so uh, i find these pretty fascinating and also it makes me wonder how many other storyboards are out there that uh you know tell us other things about this movie not that i want to see them yet i want to see the movie without them being spoiled um <laughs> so uh you know we we will kind of not talk about storyboards and things if they're out there that haven't been released but in this case, these are. Images that are coming from the trailer. So if you want to take a look at these, you're pretty safe at at looking at them without uh, spoiling anything for the new movie. Head over to GhostbustersNews.com to check that out. Outside of the uh, Ghostbusters Frozen Empire production work that's happening, there is some stuff going on with comic books that we haven't talked about yet because it came out uh, last week after we put out the most recent episode. Dark Horse Comics has established that they will be putting out a mini-series of four issues, I almost said episodes, um, of a new title called Ghostbusters Back in Town. This is going to be a telling of a story that is going to bridge the gap between the Spangler family leaving Oklahoma and arriving and sort of restarting up Ghostbusters. As we know from the trailer, it's pretty evident that Ghostbusters is up and running at the time that the trailer takes place in the next movie. Uh, And so we probably won't see a re-origin story, but that re-origin story seems like it will probably be told in the four issues of this comic book. So, uh, you know, I will say, even though I'm not typically a huge comic book fan, this excites me because uh, it's manageable. I'm not the kind of person who can follow a comic book every month. And I admit it. That's part of the reason I didn't get into the IDW comics is that it was too much of an ask to be involved on the monthly, you know, I don't I don't go to the comic book store. I don't know if anybody does anymore, frankly, to go pick up books or if they just get them digitally, but I digress. I'm an old school person who used to be into comics, but I just don't sort of have the drive to go get something every month. But when you put something in a collection or a graphic novel, I'm way more into it. Or if it's something that's manageable, like a four issue miniseries. So uh, to me, this is really cool. It reminds me in some ways of an old Kevin Smith project called Chasing Dogma, which was a uh, a book that was essentially a miniseries compiled into a graphic novel that Told the story of how Jay and Silent Bob uh, went from being in New Jersey to Illinois between the events of chasing Amy and Dogma. So um, I I find this to be kind of somewhat similar, and that's going to be an outside of the um, you know film canon telling of the characters' stories, but one that will likely fit perfectly within the canon because it's being designed alongside it. Uh, the artwork that's being shown for this, like the potential cover art, etc., is really beautiful. There is one alternative first issue cover art piece that's been released that is an image of the Ecto-1 on a trailer being towed by the Spengler family truckster, the 2000 Subaru Outback that we see Cali driving in the uh, the opening moments of Afterlife. Um, I find this fascinating for two reasons. One, Jason Reitman has come out and said that the uh, image of the Ecto being towed away Back to New York would have been the original closing shot of Ghostbusters Afterlife. if They hadn't made different choices. And two, um, I I love this artwork. I really do. I think it's gorgeous and beautiful, but I also have a sticking point with it because uh, the last time I checked a Subaru Outback can tow about 2000 pounds and the Ecto weighs about seven um, without a trailer and without necessarily all of its equipment. So (laughs) I hope that that's not actually a plot point in the comic book. Because it might ask me to, you know, kind of strain some credulity on the narrative before we can get into the new movie, and hopefully it's just artistic license being taken with a very beautiful and awesome cover. If you haven't seen these images, you can go over to Dark Horse Comics over on social media. Uh, you can also hop over to Ghostbusters News, obviously, because you know Jason covered it, and you know Jason also has this good comparison of what the artwork looks like now versus the kind of teased images we shot, we saw of sort of animated renditions of these characters in the past. So. Um, it'll be very interesting to see, um, what we're going to get from this story. And of course we still have animated work that's coming that is separate from this. That's going to be exciting to see. So it's really exciting time to be a Ghostbusters fan. And it really looks like March of next year when this hits and, you know, allegedly we're still getting our movie in spring, um, that this is gonna be a very exciting time to be a Ghostbusters fan as we get into 2024. Outside of Frozen Empire stuff, let's talk to uh, or let's talk about for a few minutes video game content. Uh, The first thing to talk about here is that the Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed crossplay issue that's been impacting Nintendo Switch players has been resolved. If you're not familiar with this, you're not sure what I'm talking about. uh, Patch 1.7.1 came out. Uh, Elphonic released it a couple weeks ago, and that resolved some bug fixes and issues that were happening with Um, the stability and players hopping out of the map by accident and crashes and things was nothing really mind-blowing from my personal experience. I didn't have bad experiences with the new DLC for the most part, but you know, fixing bugs is always good. Uh, Unless, of course, you get bug fixes on several of the platforms that you are supporting, but not all of them at once. And that's kind of what happened here. The Nintendo Switch platform is obviously the newest one with new players coming on and new patches being rolled out on different schedules, etc. And every time there needs to be a new DLC or a new patch for this game, it needs to be released out to each of the distribution systems that are out there. So there has to be one for um, PC going through Epic Games. There has to be one for PlayStation 5 players. There has to be one for PlayStation 4 players. There has to be one for Xbox. And so each of the corporations that, of course, manage their ecosystems has to approve these patches and deliveries of the software code. Uh, in this case, Nintendo had not yet approved the patch while the other platforms had. So this meant that the Switch users could no longer engage in crossplay because they were being told that their clients were out of date. Uh, so if you've been impacted by that, if you have been wondering as a new Nintendo Switch player, Is this what life is like on this game? Um, Not generally. Usually the patches all come out at the same time, but this may be a little growing pain we've all experienced together. But the good news is that it's resolved. And if you want to hop back online and play against your friends, regardless of what platform they're on, you can Uh, just feel free to log. If you're on a switch, you may need to close out of your game and restart it to pick up the new update. Beyond the update to uh, Spirits Unleashed, Rise of the Ghost Lord has received a new game mode in the last week called Heist and Seek. This is apparently a competitive version of this game because in the past, so far, since the game came out, it's been a cooperative endeavor. Uh, But Heist and Seek is going to involve three ghost brothers who show up to commit one last heist of a bank, and essentially your job is to stop them from carrying out that one last job. Uh, by doing so, you're able to, uh, figure out how you can be competitive by the amount of money uh, that you're able to essentially reclaim or something here. Uh, So this is kind of exciting. You're going to see more and more modes for this VR game. I have to admit to being a little out of the loop on it because I don't have a VR headset uh, and so I don't really have great insight to what this game is like other than watching videos of other people play it along those lines. If you want to see this new heist and seek uh mode. Jason Fitzsimmons does have a review out of it out on Ghostbusters News. Um, and he says that this is part of a six-month DLC roadmap where there's going to be several game modes that come out, several playable avatars, uh different equipment skins, etc., that have been announced by Endreams who makes this game. Jason's trying to convince me to get a VR headset, so I will play this game with him. Um, but I don't know if I'm ready to make that several hundred dollar investment. We'll see. <laughs> um, but um I, I do want to play it at some point and review it and give you some insights about what I think about it. But if you're a person out there playing Ghostbusters Rise of the Ghost Lord, or if you have a PlayStation or a MetaQuest that, you know, supports VR and you're not playing it yet, you can go and grab the game now and check out this new DLC and uh, way to play. In a different vein about video games and different vein about VR, you may have remembered from a while back, we talked about Hollowgate, uh, that there was a Ghostbusters VR Academy. Piece of software that different Hollowgate vendors or rather Hollowgate leasers, because the people who have Hollowgate equipment generally rent it from Hollowgate, um, they could have it inside their different amusement centers. In fact, I went to a bowling alley near here and tried to play it and was told that they had run out of credits with Hollowgate and couldn't let me play it, which sucked. Um, but uh, apparently, there's going to be a place to play this now that Sony runs. Uh, Sony Pictures has announced that there's going to be a new immersive. Uh, amusement center, essentially in Chicago with a speakeasy. And it's going to include not, not just Ghostbusters stuff, but it's going to include, include a whole bunch of different VR experiences from across different Sony properties from 21 Jump Street, uh, to Uncharted, to Zombieland, to Jumanji. But part of the big draw here is that this will be a premier place to go and play Ghostbusters VR Academy while also potentially drinking in a bar that's called the Ghost Trap. Um, so that's kind of exciting. I want to go to a place called the ghost trap and have drinks. That's pretty rad. Uh, so it's going to be a full service restaurant and bar, uh, that will include the speakeasy called the ghost trap. And there will essentially be these different opportunities to play different VR themed games, etc., um, right there on site. So it's going to be a destination for sort of location based experiences, according to Sony, uh, and that they're saying that experiences like Wonderverse provide audiences the opportunity to enjoy our brands in new ways by immersing themselves in some of their favorite stories. Uh, to me, I think this is really exciting because we've seen what Sony has been able to do so far with the VR stuff they can generate procedurally um, with movie making. And that if they begin to use that technology independent of, you know, making cinema and instead start putting in amusement centers, that could be a real game changer on what it means to go to an amusement park, um, you know, rather than going and needing to go have tons of space, you could instead have environments that were relatively closed up and still offered a lot of different, in, you know, opportunities and insights. And I like the idea of pairing it with a restaurant and bar. I was a big fan of the void experience when I got to do it after FanFest, which if you've never heard of it, was a VR lo- based on a you know, location based VR place. You had to go there and go put on a helmet and put on a suit. And when you did, you got to go be in an immersive Ghostbusters mission where Dan Aykroyd was your boss, Um, or rather, Ray Stance. But you know how I feel about this. They're kind of the same person. Um, So that was a really cool experience that had, you know, different water effects and air blown in your face alongside the VR experience you were having. And I think that that's something you can't necessarily create the same way just inside the Hollowgate setup. So if they can expand upon this, I'm really excited. Um and it means that potentially you could start to see more amusement centers pop up in different places like this in different major cities where maybe we could have these kinds of experiences, get together, have events. It'd be pretty cool. So, uh good luck to Sony Pictures as they roll out this Wonderverse uh initiative and uh we'll see how the first one does in Chicago. And if nothing else, I want to go there and drink in this speakeasy because it's going to have a slimer and it's got artwork of um, Vigo and the the librarian ghost, Eleanor Twitty. And it looks like in the, 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 uh, PR images they put out, there's symmetrical book stacking. And I just want to go, um, I just need to go to Chicago now for something, but, um, you know, and then I'll just go there and get all my meals taken care of there. Uh, okay. So that kind of covers the official Ghostbusters, like Sony derived news of this week, but there's some fan stuff to be aware of in terms of things that have gone on in the community. Uh, one of those things is that If you haven't seen this already, I know I talked about it in the past. The containment unit has an ongoing signing uh, that they'll be doing. It's an autograph opportunity with McKenna Grace, uh, especially if you're one of the folks who's not going to be able to see her in the UK because she had to cancel her appearance to go back and do filming. This is a way for you to still get an autograph. Uh, Of course, the containment unit we've talked about in the past is Matt uh, Sanders and Tom Henry, who... Have been on the podcast before, and I've told you so much about how they do great work with autographs and signing. They have posted on their TCU Collectibles page on Facebook, uh, indicating that the cutoff for photo orders to get an autograph photo of McKenna Grace is going to be the 27th of November, which is about six days from now, which means by the next time you hear the podcast, it will be too late for you to do that. So you need to do it this week. Uh, the price on autographs is $60 for any item. I believe character names are $15 and there's additional photo printing fees of $5 for 8x10s, 11x14s are eight by tens, 11 by 14s or $8, 12 by 18 posters are $8, uh, and trading cards are five. So, um, these are pretty cool opportunities. I'm not going to lie. McKenna Grace is in pretty huge demand. She's doing a lot of different stuff. She's a multi-hyphenate who's now, you know, generating music career and generating, obviously been, has been an actor for quite some time. Um, it's probably not going to get easier to get her autograph. And if you want to get stuff that is oriented for firehouse or rather frozen empire, my apologies, there are a few prints that they have already got that will have, uh, you know, that are either stills from the trailer or stills from elsewhere that have McKenna as Phoebe in the new movie. So if you already have stuff signed from afterlife and you're sitting there going, I don't need anything else right now. I'll wait until the new movie comes out and see what the prints are later on, you can grab them now and not have to worry about it. So uh, you can go find more details about that signing at the TCU Collectibles web page or page on Facebook. And of course, to reach out with questions or to place an order, you can contact Matt and Tom at the Ghostbusters Containment Unit at gmail.com. That is the only way uh, that they're going to be taking orders. So if you send them DMs or something elsewhere, they're not going to get it. So make sure you reach out because it's going to be the number one and only way to make sure you get that autograph. The other piece of community news to, do, to know about is that apparently Facebook has been uh, working through um, everybody's pages again, <laughs> essentially starting to, to ban pages. And I know a bunch of different groups, including Ghostbusters News, got whacked in the last week. Uh, Extra Plasma remains safe, although my theory on that is that we don't have the word Ghostbusters in the name of anything on the Facebook page. Um, Apparently, according to Ghostbusters News, because Jason had a conversation with the folks over at Meta slash Facebook, there are a few things that are causing this to happen. It's likely an algorithm that is driving the removals that are going on. And it's kind of a prevailing theory that certain images or languages will trigger the action of fan pages being pulled um, down. It's interesting to note that his page and several others were all whacked on the same day, and then a few days later, there were a few more that all got whacked on the same day, and it seems that this happens as like almost a um, a queuing of several pages or many pages to be removed in bulk by an algorithm, and they all go at once. Uh, the big thing that Meta has said that needs to happen to make sure people can get their pages back in the event they get pulled away or something uh, is that they need to disclose that fan pages are in fact fan pages in the bio or intro so that it's clear that it's not something endorsed by uh, Sony Pictures. And so, you know, this means that you probably want to be very careful about saying anything about being official, about necessarily saying that you're a charity group, even if you are one, uh, because the reality is that, you know, I've seen this, that several of the 501c3 organized groups have been pulled down and they're wondering why. And it's because an algorithm sees you as a guy who claims that you're a charity while also being a Ghostbusters fan and goes, no. Um, And it's a matter of trying to fight your way back in to uh, get yourself, get your, your page saved, uh, you know, by advocating for yourself. So uh, one key thing to keep in mind with this is that this is not hard and fast advice. I know that Jason provided the advice to folks to make sure they said they were a fan page. And then, uh, you know, some Ghostbusters groups did that and then found themselves pulled down in the next wave of stuff anyway. Uh, it seems like everybody is at the whim of the algorithm on this to some extent. Your best bet, from my standpoint, is reduce the extent to which you're claiming Ghostbusters in terms of your logos and stuff, in terms of your your bio, etc. And instead, make it very clear that you're a fan page, even if it's something like Ghostbusters fan franchise, as opposed to just Ghostbusters franchise, might be a good way to kind of set the algorithm off. But um, keep your eyes out for it. It is something that continues to be a problem, and at least at this point, uh, because Sony has been kind of in talks with uh, Facebook and their digital marketing team has been trying to ask questions about it. It does seem at least there's a conversation happening to try and reduce how often this is taking place. And the last piece of news to talk about for the week uh, that I want to encourage you to take a look at is that I didn't get a chance to check one of these out myself, but Jason Fitzsimmons has a great review of the new uh, EctoWear uniform uh, that was put out by Thiago Nascimento uh, a while back. That is currently out of stock because it was done as a run before Halloween and then there would be additional runs later. But if you've been wondering how does the Ectoware suit hold up and you've been considering, you know, what do you do for your next flight suit as the next Ghostbusters movie comes out and you want to upgrade your gear? Uh, you can take a look at Jason's experience with the Ectoware suit. He has a pretty comprehensive look at it and it's a really solid review. So it's something to definitely go take a look at and check out. Okay, so that about covers the headlines for this week and gives you some insights about what's gone on since we last talked. So let's go now to uh, my coverage with Leah of our experience off at the Q&A and screening for Ghostbusters Answer the Call, Benefiting the Good Deed Core that was hosted by Paul Feig and Katie Dippold at Dynasty Typewriter in Los Angeles joining me on Extraplasm Podcast. For the first time ever, but regularly, right down the hall in almost every single episode, Leah Colote, my significant other, my partner in crime and the person who maintains silence during every other extra Plazen episode recording because she's awesome and supportive. How are you doing?
5: Um, I'm doing great. It's weird to be talking on a podcast as opposed to tiptoeing around while you're recording a podcast.
0: Yeah, this is typically the way that people don't know this, that usually you are the person who's trying to quietly cook things or um, play with a cat quietly or do any of the things because you are very supportive of what goes on with the podcast and you're an amazing partner and I love you for it. So thank you. Uh, But I wanted to have you on the show because you and I had a bit of a, a date afternoon to go visit Paul Feig and Katie Dippold. Um, Not like at their house or something. They don't live together either. That would be really weird if like Paul Feig and Katie Dippold just were like, yeah, we cohabitate since we made that Ghostbusters movie. Uh, But uh, we went to go see a screening of Ghostbusters 2016, a.k.a. Ghostbusters Answer the Call at Dynasty Typewriter this week. And uh, I wanted to bring you on the podcast because, I mean, you know what you do. But for folks out there who don't, uh, Leah is a, a school teacher who specializes in teaching theater and comedy to high school students and who has a background in comedy and theater and improv. And so uh, you're a person who has a deep appreciation for Paul Feig, uh, for improv comedy or sketch comedy. and You know, generally comedy movies and stuff in general. It's part of the reason that you and I, you know, like each other. I wanted to have you on to talk about our trip. Um, So thank you for coming on the show.
5: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we traveled to LA yesterday. Thank you for driving through the hellish traffic. And we made our way uh, downtown to Dynasty Typewriter, uh, which is a venue that we've been to a lot for different. Comedy shows, uh, including a Weird Al screening a couple months ago by the same group. Yeah. Which let's tell them a little bit about the.
0: Yeah, the Good Good Deed Deed Corps was Mm -hmm. the uh, the nonprofit organization that was running the screening at Dynasty Typewriter. And the Good Deed Corps, if nobody's ever heard of them before, who's listening to the podcast uh, outside of L.A. because they're kind of started here. uh, The Good Deed Corps is a nonprofit organization that seeks to increase uh, ballot access and voter engagement, especially in contexts where you have disenfranchised people and where voter turnout and participation is typically low. Uh, and so they do a lot of things like uh, fostering engagement in say places in Georgia. They have thing, They participate in things like the Texas turnout uh, and have been working to develop uh, voter engagement in sort of border towns on the Mexican and Texas border. Um, in the last few years, they've sent donut trucks to go try and get people to vote for Stacey Abrams, I think. Uh, but essentially, they're a bunch of entertainers who came together during the pandemic and started doing this thing called "Stars in the Backyard," where they show movies and bring in a director or a uh, star. Or in the case of like Weird Al's movie, his movie would never was never even shown in a theater because uh, it was a like what Hulu film? Is that right?
5: Yeah, it was like a direct to streaming. I'm not. It wasn't on Hulu. It was on something. Something it was
0: on um yeah. the Yanko Net the, the we only Weird Al Netflix equivalent it was on it, it was on Al U H F or U H what's the name of that movie <laughs> it was on U H F yes that's yeah. awesome uh, yeah so we have been to like one of these screenings before but the organization is really cool because they're working to increase voter turnout
5: and specifically with young people we talked with uh, one of the co-founders Rebecca and. She showed us stickers that like people in high school had made to promote registering uh, that are like really yeah. specific to their region. So they're yeah. a very cool group.
0: Yeah, so it's a very cool, very progressive organization, um, and it is nonpartisan. As much as I'm joking about them sending donut trucks to go get people to vote for Stacey Abrams in Georgia, um, they they do say you know sort of claim that their goal is to kind of create conversational environments to be able to talk about politics in a nonpartisan way. And part of that is about creating opportunities to talk about film and its impact on culture and stuff. So um, I I really I dig the good deed core. I think they do good deeds. It's good.
5: (laughs) They sure do. And so we we traveled down to L.A. yesterday and um, we got to the venue and paid our fourteen dollars for parking. And we actually saw Paul Feig pull up in his car on the way in. (laughs) Um, And then we, you know, we had a moment where we're like, oh, should we should we go talk to him now? And we're like, no, we should do it later because that would be awkward and weird. I have to say. That that moment was like one of the most it's one of those
0: humanizing moments when you encounter celebrities out in the world is when you see celebrities drive up in their car and pay cash for parking or try to because he was having like the same interaction that anybody who's ever driven the Dynasty typewriter has when they pull up to the parking garage and try to figure out, are they taking money today? Are they sending people to the machine to go pay as opposed to taking cash in hand? And so I laughed myself because he just wanted to know how he paid to park, and the guy was like, "You pay when you leave," like this very abruptly. And it's like, "Yeah, you're talking to like the dude who directed *Bridesmaids*." <laughs> <Like, laughs>
5: that's L.A. for you. I mean, whether it's him or one time we were driving down, uh, uh, like a really long street in L.A., and John Hodgman was behind us for a John Hodgman <laughs> performance that. that we went to, and he had issues with parking. So L.A. parking, it's the worst. Everybody
0: is everybody's Check impacted all the by signs. parking.
5: <laughs> okay so we get there we we park first thing we see is we see an ecto and of course you know immediately who that ecto belongs to yeah because this is our
0: life right like is it, i know the ghostbusters people um <laughs> and you don't but you you are supportive and put up with me and my love of ghostbusters people and so we ran into uh long and veronica who have the ecto exo uh the Ghostbusters 2016 car that its home is in the Southland area in the Orange County Inland Empire region, but certainly comes up to LA and will be at LA Comic Con soon. And I've gotten to know them over the years because when I first came to a convention and cosplayed, I didn't know anybody. And they were the people who were like, hey, who are you? Well, come hang out with us. <laughs> so, which I have to say has kind of fostered a love for me of Answer the Call in a way because Veronica is a huge fan of Answer the Call. And that's sort of the movie she considers the Ghostbusters movie she associates and identifies with. And for me, I was a classic fan. And all of a sudden, when I came into uh, cosplay and whatnot, the folks who I ended up gravitating towards and who were not really heavy handed about, hey, how do you dress? And hey, are you screen accurate? And all those kinds of things were the folks who were repping Ghostbusters 2016 at the time. So we've become good friends over the years. And so it was really cool to see them parked right outside. Uh, and they got a lot of good comments from people like throughout the night. Even Paul Feig was like, thank you for bringing your car. I don't know if you saw he signed it.
5: Oh, he signed their car.
0: Wow. Yeah, he and Katie Dippel both signed the car. The uh, sun visors of their car now oh, have their fun. autographs <laughs> on them. And then the uh, the lady Slimer that they have in the front seat of their car is now signed mm-hmm. on the butt. So um, oh, there's perfect. So if you go to Ecto on Instagram and take a look at it, you can find it.
5: One signature on each cheek or. No,
0: I think I don't. I don't know if Katie Dippold signed the butt. I know that Paul Feig definitely did because there's a photo of him standing next to the car with a signed slimer butt right next to his head. So, yeah.
5: All right. Well, and pro tip to anyone else who, like me, is just like a pedestrian who hangs out with Ghostbusters people. <laughs> um, you can always find the nice people who have the cars because they put all their money into the cars instead of their outfits. And so go make friends with the people with the cars. (laughs) They're nice. I
0: think there's some people in our circle of friends who both spend a lot of money on outfits and cars who might disagree with you. But
5: (laughs) fair enough. I digress.
0: So uh, we end up inside Dynasty Typewriter. We got some drinks. We got our popcorn. We went in and sat down. We saw our friends from the Ecto XO. And um, from there, we had a pretty interesting night with Paul Feig, I think, coming out. Uh, and introducing first the film and letting people know about it. What was your first impression as Paul Feig kind of introduced the film? Like, What did you get the impression he was setting us up for in terms of how he talked about the movie?
5: You know, it was interesting. The The vibes were sort of tentative, <laughs> but hopeful. Um, both Paul Feig and Katie Dippold talked a little bit about... Um, sort of the tension around the film and what was going on in the world at the time of the film and how it's sort of reflective of that and sort of a uh, nervousness of how it would be received um, the evening that we went and watched it. Um, yeah. So, um, so it was, it was a weird start. <laughs> um and not weird
0: but they, bad, but it was, it was sort of like, I got the impression that he got up to talk to us and began openly sharing. About, you know, in a way that I haven't heard him talk about the movie before of saying, like, I'm not I'll talk about this after the movie, but I I got death threats. <laughs> and it was just sort of like, yeah, Whoa, shit, this is gonna be dark. Well,
5: <laughs> and I think you and I know Paul Feig from different things. Like, for me, he's the person who wrote the book Kick Me, which is about, you know, it's like stories about him in junior high that are cringy and awful. And, you know, he's experienced a lot of bullying, but he has a great sense of humor about it. And of course he's turned those stories into, you know, freaks and geeks as the inspiration for that and put a lot of himself into that show. And, you know, I know him from watching undeclared and I didn't know for a long time that he directed several things in the office. Um, and, And of course from films like, Bridesmaids and Ghostbusters, but to me, I think of him as like nerdy writer who, you know, sort of pivoted into directing and brought his writing and character acting uh, sensibilities from the comedy world and brought those techniques to bring out the best in his performers and his writing staff. So for me, like I was there to like meet him for that and to say, thanks for creating this stuff that... (laughs) inspires and still rings true to, to, you know, even Gen Z kids. Like he writes things that are very, um, relatable. Yeah. And so it wasn't surprising to me to see him be like, Hey, so here's this thing that we made and enjoyed, and hope you like it. Even though I was completely, you know, harassed on the internet about it (laughs) and still am. Um, and same thing for Katie Dippold, although she certainly was more reserved about it.
0: Yeah, but he seems to be very vulnerable and open about this in a way that I was kind of caught off guard by, I have to admit, because, um, you know, look, I, I think anyone listening to this podcast knows that if you say Ghostbusters 2016 in a room full of Ghostbusters fans, that unfortunately, if there's 10 of them, at least three of them will feel that the way that they should socially bond about the moment is to figure out how to make jokes about the movie and shit on it. Um, which is, I think, really, I'm not saying that's a scientifically proven statistic, but I'm willing to go with it. And to be real, like, I mean, let's just be between brass tacks between you and me uh, and the listeners like I was pushing this event on social media just to tell people to come out and, you know, benefit a charity, benefit an organization as a nonprofit that does things like increase democratic engagement in America. And I had to deal with people who commented back me saying like oh you're gonna watch this movie why would you watch this movie right or the people who said things like oh he's gonna be serving cocktails well finally he's getting a job he can do and you're like what where are we at we're seven seven years removed from this movie there's no reason yeah. to still be carrying around all this frustration about the film but i think that he kind of started off you know kind of illustrating this point that even Donald Trump was like <laughs> was had a problem with Ghostbusters 2016 when it was coming out to such an extent that by the time it came out, it had already kind of had the well poisoned for it. It was kind of like this groundswell of people who came out against it. But the thing that to me was so fascinating about how he set things off was to make it very clear that their goal was never to generate any of this, that they were worried about creating this kind of blowback. And it was why they chose not to try and do a sequel that would have continued the story of say Venkman and Spengler and stance and then do that wrong, but instead to tell a different story in a sort of parallel way that would have left the original alone. And to be fair, I'm going to be hundred percent honest. I'm glad we got ghostbusters afterlife for anybody right out there right now. Who's gritting their teeth going, Jim, what are you doing? I love ghostbusters afterlife. I I still love ghostbusters and it's original canon is always going to be the thing I grew up with, but by no means do I sit down, sit back and go, Ghostbusters 2016 is hot garbage because I, it wasn't necessarily my favorite version of the story. And to put this in terms that maybe will be relatable to people on the podcast listenership, but maybe not for you, Leah, because you didn't really watch this as a kid. You watched the real Ghostbusters like you and I have talked about the containment unit and
5: oh, you. Yeah, I like, would watch just- <laughs> that on Saturday mornings, not consistently, but like I have visceral memories of like. Oh my God, the containment unit world—it's like Willy Wonka. So, <laughs> like we've
0: talked about, like you said last yeah. night, like oh, with like the containment unit has rocks floating around, it. and I was like, that's my joke from a podcast. I say that all the time. Yeah. But like I watched the real Ghostbusters as a kid, just like you did, and saw it, and it was like, oh, that's what Ghostbusters looked like. So when Extreme Ghostbusters came along in the '90s, and they were like, we're going to continue this, and we're going to put a, a guy in a wheelchair in it and a goth girl in it and a guy who's of color in it. I don't remember anybody suddenly losing their mind and being like, Oh my God, what are they doing at Ghostbusters?
5: <laughs> it was just like, I don't even know went, what that is. You but, don't even know what it is. That's but, kind of but, like, there was I not mean,
0: the same guttural reaction to right. that what version of the Ghostbusters story. From,
5: from the cartoon is I don't remember there being an uproar like, Oh no, it's not the real Ghostbusters because it doesn't have the real people, you know, the real people voicing it. Real and No, it was
0: instead it was an uprising because Filmation had their own version of Ghostbusters and they didn't want to license the name to it, which is why the show we watched was called The Real Ghostbusters, because the not real Ghostbusters was that one with the weird gorilla and stuff that was like a Filmation proper. You don't even know what I'm talking about. People right now are like, what? How could you have somebody on the podcast who doesn't know what the Filmation Ghostbusters are? And that's because people stepping outside of your Ghostbusters world is occasionally good, especially with your partner.
5: But, <laughs> but you know, that's why I'm here to bring the back because like you were you were taken aback by Paul Feig's um, sort of like sincerity and vulnerability. But to me, I was like, oh, no, this is his brand. <laughs> like right. I've read, you know, the first story or one of the first stories. I'm not going to tell his story. He has plenty of cringy stories and kick me like horribly embarrassing stories of being bullied and tormented and embarrassed some by his own accord some you know based on sort of like Mm cluelessness and sort of wholesomeness of that time so to me it was like oh yeah he's just being him um i i have to say i
0: was i was very um it was kind of touching the way that the audience kind of reached out to him (laughs) it was like (laughs) i was listening to the uh audio recording we have of his Q&A, which we're going to put at the back end of the podcast this week. And one of the distinct things you can hear throughout him in this first few moments is a few people just going, we love you. We love you. (laughs) Just providing affirmation because he's kind of telling this very open story about, you know, he used to wake, he used to sit down to dinner and scroll through Twitter and enjoy it. He went to bed one night on a cloud nine being really excited about, um, you know, making a new Ghostbusters movie, even though he had trepidations about doing it because he didn't want to do it wrong. And the next day it's like he hasn't had a normal day in social media or the internet since (laughs) like it's been seven years and it's like changed his life and not necessarily in a way that was positive, you know, whereas most of us are like, Oh, a ghostbusters movie comes out and it's great. And we're so happy as fans for him,
5: you know? Right. And I think part of what was really sad sort of at the beginning, or maybe it was the end when they talked about it, but they hadn't really, experienced watching a screening of this film in a positive way other than in test screenings where they had gotten like 90% scores right, and like right. really good audience scores but like with a a regular audience once all of the media and social media stuff happened like it just became um a really negative experience and you know, another interesting point, too, is for this charity event that we went to, he didn't have to pick Ghostbusters. Right. Like, he's a very accomplished person. It could have been an episode or two of Freaks and Geeks. It could have been Bridesmaids. It could have been Spy. It could have been a few episodes of The Office. Or he could have done stand-up live because right. yep. he did stand-up a while ago. But. He deliberately chose this film for a charity screening and a intimate Q&A at the end um, on purpose to have this experience uh, uh, of of seeing it with people who could enjoy it for what it is, which is a not too serious, lighthearted film.
0: Yeah. And it was one that, you know, he felt he talked about this at the beginning about how it was important to him as a film because it's a story of sort of coming up against people who are telling, you no, uh, you know, and sort of bullying people down and saying that they can't succeed at what they want to do or they can't be taken legitimately. And that, you know, in some ways that has almost allegorical levels to the need to kind of raise grassroots political engagement, et cetera. And so oh, it yeah. was a really interesting choice. And you're totally right. Like he could have picked any number of things to screen, but he chose this and I mean, to be fair, like if he was doing something else, if he had done episodes of The Office, I would have gone down because the one of the nice things I've learned about Paul Feig over the years is that he's an incredibly nice human being who's engaging. He came to Ghostbusters Fan Fest and he wasn't like even on the bill as somebody who was going to be there. And he signed autographs all day and engaged people and took selfies and all kinds of stuff. And I'll never forget this, that um, I that sort of warmth, I wish that more people got to experience Because even on the morning of Ghostbusters Fan Fest, you were not there for this because I went as a Class 10 and spent a lot of money and gave myself a 39th birthday present as opposed to a 40th, and then the 40th happened during a pandemic anyway, so I made the right call. But Ivan Reitman sat at our breakfast table as Class 10 attendees that day, and someone made a dig. There were seven or eight people sitting at a table full of Ghostbusters fans, and so someone needed to try and identify and relate to the people at the table by... Somehow taking a dump on Ghostbusters 2016, and they were silly enough to do it right in front of Ivan Reitman, um, who looked at the folks at the table and very high classly said, I really want Paul to feel welcome today. And I really want he's a he's a genuine person and he's a nice person. And I really want Paul to feel welcome and like part of our family today. And it's something I've never will forget that it was like. Even Ivan Reitman had to sit there in a room full of Ghostbusters fans and be like, "Behave, right? Like, make sure that you behave
5: today." You know. Well, and that was part of the interesting thing about the Q and A because I'm, I'm, you know, I enjoy Ghostbusters, especially Sigourney Weaver. Yay, she's wonderful. Yale trained actress. I know her from theater stuff. (laughs) That's how much (laughs) of a nerd I am. Um, But um, you know, we. At least for me, it was new information hearing like, oh, no, he was Paul Feig was approached by the Reitman team to direct a Ghostbusters film. Like it wasn't his idea. Um, And he was approached several times and really gave it a lot of thought as someone who for him, he talked about being, you know, in college when uh, the original film came out and seeing it and um you know how funny it was and it was both like incredibly smart and incredibly silly at the same time and a little bit scary and seeing that combination of things um and you know seeing it as something aspirational like one day right. i might be able to do this in something like this in my career yeah
0: and i think i thought that was fascinating mm-hmm. that like before we even got into the q and a like that happened later on He kind of gave this disclosure that of how the movie came about and that it was that he didn't really seek it out, that they sought him out, that he knew that there was a script out there that the Stepnicki script existed and that he was, you know, supportive of it because he'd worked with them on the office, but that he would approach to direct it and had sort of said, no, it's not really for me. I don't think I want to do that. And that the timeline for the movie, this is what really blows my mind that I never really processed until really this weekend and we saw him talk about it is that the timeline for the movie was literally less than a year. Like the, he he yeah. talked about it as something where it was a year timeline, but what he talks about is the idea that it's him and Amy Pascal ending up having a conversation at San Diego Comic-Con of 2015, which is say the 22nd or 23rd of July usually, it's around that period. And I believe that like the premiere date for Ghostbusters 2016 was July 14th if I'm not mistaken. And so like you're literally yeah. talking about Less than a whole year to write a movie, cast it, produce it, the effects come together, etc. cetera, to such a level that I didn't I never realized this, that the reason why we didn't get the dance sequence in the actual movie itself and it ended up being tacked onto the credits and ends up being included instead in the extended edition is because the effects were not locked, according to Paul, when they actually released the movie and he had gone out to the press at the time saying that there was a an, and I read this the other night. He didn't say this during the QA, but that I was remembered this reading about the movie a little bit the other night. That he'd actually gone out and said before the movie was even done being in theaters, there is an extended edition that will add fifteen minutes to this film. You know, so and we found out during this event that it was because he did achieve those nineties uh, on scores for for satisfaction, and he did achieve those scores of seventy five percent recommendation on their final screening which meant he was supposed to have final cut of the movie. But then the studio came in and said, no, you got to take this out. You got to take this out. You got to take that out. And so instead, if you look at the film that he as that he considers sort of the version that he would have put out there, it's the two hour and 15 minute extended cut rather than the one that actually hit theaters when we saw it. And so all of that is fascinating to me because here you have a person who is trepidatious about taking on the job of taking a classic and working with it. And then they're given like less than a year timetable to be like, go, we want a movie made. Uh, and, and that's daunting. Uh, to me, that's very terrifying. Yeah.
5: Well, and it it was also. It was really interesting hearing things that were cut or that were revised hearing, you know, they went on a tour of New York to look at all the locations they wanted and because it was being made in less than a year they were like okay right. boston it is with green screens all around and right. giant cubes or that they were at one point going to have a a ghost dinosaur which that's <laughs> delightful i would like to see that sometime um but you know eventually turning it into other things like ghost pil- pilgrims that, that yeah, made more
0: sense. Yeah. Um and some of that comes out of the Q&A which we're obviously going to tack on the back of the podcast cuz we're bouncing around a little bit cuz some of this was about things he said at the beginning of it some of it was stuff he said afterwards but sort of let's um, talk about the movie for a couple minutes because I can remember watching Ghostbusters 2016 the first time I saw it in a the theater and I was sitting yeah. next to you. <laughs> like and it was we went
5: on a date and we saw it and Here's what I remember from seeing it in 2016. I remember really enjoying the first sequence in the house with um, Zach Woods. Yeah. I was like, ooh, if the rest of the film is going to be like this, this is going to be awesome. And then it was just like kind of OK <laughs> for the rest <laughs> of it. Like, it. like it was enjoyable and like has so many in elements that were enjoyable. I, I love all of the actors in it. Um, there are some moments that are like genuinely funny. Um, Chris Hemsworth, I didn't know too much about at that point in time. And I was like, who is this person? He's pretty funny. Yeah, Cause you're, um, you're not a Star
0: Trek person or a Marvel person really. So that was like, not really. He's not somebody who was on your, uh, radar in terms of Avengers movies and Thor movies and things.
5: No, he was on my, my radar as a Chris. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, versus viewing it this time, um, I really appreciated this time sort of the pacing of it, and I again the first sequence with Zach Woods is phenomenal, and I very much enjoyed like how he grounded those scenes sort of as a straight man. And, and hey,
0: that scene is different than the one you saw the first time.
5: Oh, is it? In yeah, the way? joke
0: he. The joke he tells about how the grandfather clock was saved from the Titanic, but that um, Miss, but Dr. Eldridge or Mr. Eldridge left behind his wife and children or whatever to fit the grandfather clock. That's mm-hmm. not in the theatrical release. The theatrical oh, release great. instead, he has a different line where he says that the house has all the amenities, including Irish proof fencing. Like, so like, I okay. think, because that would be like Ireland and immigrants and things. So it was essentially um, establishing that the house had anti-immigrant fencing protection. <laughs> like, and okay. so in the now, in the newer version of it, the, or the extended version, that joke gets replaced with, to me, a much funnier joke about the yeah. grandfather clock coming from the Titanic.
5: <laughs> yeah, no, that whole first and I don't remember the first scene being funny at all. Um and it did have like some little moments that broke the tension. So yeah. So that still slaps. Um you know, Kate McKinnon is a delight. Um all of the lead actors, Leslie Jones was really wonderful to see. Um it was cool seeing all the little cameos that I didn't notice the first time that we watched yeah. it. Because I I haven't seen it since then. Um, And, you know, the other thing that really struck me this time, if you think of it as sort of allegorical, um, you know, it is a film about women being gaslit. (laughs) like They have proof. They are showing that these, you know, scientific discoveries exist and they're real. And people are either telling them they're crazy or they believe them, but they're going to tell the public that they're crazy to cover it up. And um, it's that really struck home for me this time. I didn't notice that so much the first time around, but Thinking of everything that's happened in the world with the Me Too movement and, I don't know, the last however many years <laughs> and all the world events that have occurred. Wait,
0: you, you, let's just put in these terms. The guy who became president, who ran for president while campaigning against this movie. Who literally put yeah. out Facebook videos saying, They're making Ghostbusters with girls, they're making Indiana Jones without Harrison Ford. What's going on? That guy. Right. So um yeah, like in the yeah. in the wake of that, like when you think about it, this movie's story is very intertwined with that whole political moment in 2016. And the sort of like, will they or won't they have a you know woman as president versus somebody who was the antithesis of a potential woman as president and who became president at the end of the day. Right. So it's yeah. it is a sort of weird way to look back almost through a lens of everything that's happened since yeah, and see things very lens. differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I also think the part of that, too, is that. In the in the extended cut that we watched, which to be fair, like if anybody doesn't know this out there, the extended cut is not like some magical thing that only we saw. Uh, You can go get it. It's actually the one you should probably get off Amazon because it's got the whole dance number in it. And that's what makes the ending worthwhile to me uh, is that that if you don't have that, it doesn't work as well. But um, I think it's interesting that in the extended cut, you get more of the Homeland security guys and they're more goofy. But like you get more of them, the notion that they're going to harass folks, that whole plot where Aaron is being kind of bothered by Chris Gethard and she ends up punching him in the face doesn't exist in the theatrical cut. Right. So oh, it's it like, doesn't? no, it's not in there like that's So they added these pieces to her, the the uh, boyfriend, the fiance, Phil. All of that is not yeah, in the theatrical I cut. I
5: didn't remember Justin Kirk in the original at all. So He's when I saw it. him, I was like, oh,
0: Right, you're here. <laughs> okay, so it's like all of those moments, like the the moments that kind of even give that sense of um watching gaslighting happen on multiple levels and in interpersonal and yeah. in like sort of professional and federal and governmental ways. And it, it came it down to just, just the character. mayor and the old one. Yeah, but like if you think about the last, like the, the, the way you saw it last, a lot of that gaslighting feel comes most from two places: the mayor, right, and from like I arguably the from the villain, right. Yeah. And the assistant. But it's like really one source of it rather than, oh, here's a repeated theme throughout Erin's life of being treated as if the things she says aren't true. And then being afraid of people finding out about her viewpoints because of it, it really kind of changes it in a way that I really wish the extended cut is what we ended up seeing in theaters because it rounds out the story better. And I'll say this, like, I'll ask you what your favorite moment was in this movie. In a second, but I'm gonna tell you what my new favorite moment in this movie is for real. Like, cause it's like my favorite thing in it. And I never, never saw it before this weekend. Mm-hmm. It's the presentation they give. It's when they get requested to do the presentation that they did when they were in middle school together. And Melissa McCarthy oh, yeah. and Chris and Wig begin doing the Ghost in the original one. No, no, no. that's yeah. cut out of the theatrical version, which is like an amazing comedic moment. of Watch these two people, been friends for years, pull out this nostalgic thing and still be able to do the th- their performance together because yeah. they practiced it so much and it creates that friendship between them. And it's just funny, like it's just an odd beat in the movie that switches, but it also creates some personality these characters that you otherwise. Don't have so much of you know, so I have to say, like, I, as a person who walked out of you, saw me walk out of the last time I watched it in a theater, you were with me, and I was kind of like, uh, I don't know how I feel about that, <laughs> I'm gonna have to really give this some consideration. I came out this time going, There's a lot of comedy beats here that got left behind, you know, and I think yeah. almost in the way that Paul talked about it and Katie talked about it, in the rush to get a movie out for next summer. It meant that certain things had to get cut or the rush to make sure that we made things appealing to kids because we got to make sure that we can sell toys and things. We might have to lose a joke like ghost tits, <laughs> which is was a funny line in the movie. Right. Or the other thing I thought of was um, in the original movie, Kate McKinnon's eating the the potato chips um, out of the can when they first mm-hmm. at the Aldridge Aldridge mansion.
5: You can't stop.
0: But it's not what she says in the original cut. In the original cut, she says, how can you stop eating these salty parabolas or something like that? Right. So it's Um, like it's it it doesn't have the same kind of comedy beat to it. You know, it's got this different mm -hmm. kind of, oh, don't make a cultural reference. Instead, make a science reference about parabolas that doesn't land as well for the average person watching the movie, I think, you know, so I don't know. But I, I have to say, I enjoyed the extended cut more than the original version of it. I saw And I was kind of surprised by the amount of stuff that was either alternate takes or was, um, you know, just completely new content that would round the story out and make it stronger. So.
5: Yeah. I don't know that I have a favorite moment. I just, I know for me, like the first time I saw it, I was like, okay, well that was fine. And this time um, I really enjoyed it. Like it's a decent film. I think if it, had just come out as a as a summer comedy <laughs> without all of the um baggage that happened yeah. in 2016 like i you know it's a totally serviceable movie like it it did well financially like that was one thing that came up in the in the discussion afterwards um like it it's not something i'm going to go back to over and over and over again you know right. It's an enjoyable watch. Like it's not terrible. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I and I didn't think it was terrible the first time either, but like that really solidified it this time cuz honestly, I hadn't gone back and watched it since the first time. Right. And and just, you know, experiencing it anew, not remembering anything about it other than that first scene. It was nice. It was nice seeing. And it was it was nice to laugh in the company of others.
0: I th- and that part, what you just said is exactly what I was going to talk about, is laughing in the company of others, because I remember seeing this movie in th- in the theater with you. And the reaction in the room was almost like odd skepticism. Right. It was like, I'm not sure what I like. There were some people laughing when we watched it, but it was definitely more of a mixed bag result of like what's happening in the room that I think doesn't let the movie breathe Right. It had yeah. so much up against it when it came out in theaters of people going to be like, what is this? And sort of being told from different segments of culture and, and society, uh, you know, to be skeptical of it, that I don't feel like it had a receptive audience coming in to watch it. And every one of those audiences, there were some people who were walking in to watch it because they were going, I'm going to go be mad at this. I already think it's wrong, but I support Ghostbusters and I'm going to go watch it. So then I can be critical of it. And to be fair, like if you're listening out there and you're like, I don't like this movie, that's fine. I, I, I was not a huge fan of this movie when I first saw it. And it's grown on me over time, especially because of the people I've gotten to know in the community for whom it is a beloved thing and who are genuinely nice people who, you know, I have, no ill will towards the same way that I've met people who love extreme ghostbusters. And I'm not like, Hey, I was a fan of the original cartoon. So get bent. Like I, it's one of those things where I think the community, when you find the folks who really love the thing together, you can embrace it. And so the experience I had when I got to watch afterlife was all these people who came together to watch this movie because they had this deep appreciation of the original films and such that this was a magnum opus moment for them to be able to move forward together. And so sitting in those rooms, regardless of which theater you were in in opening weekend, everyone there was open to that film and was ready for it and wanted to see it. And I don't think like this was, this is probably the first time I've seen that movie in a room full of people who were genuinely supportive and wanted to be there. And that's something you touched on that like Paul talked about after the screening, you know, that like he and Katie had never been in a room full of people who, who actually were there avidly wanting to watch the movie, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah.
5: And that definitely affects your experience of watching a film. You know, like who's in the room, whether it's a really scary film and everybody's screaming and grabbing each other. Like when I went and saw the others in a movie theater for the first time or, (laughs) you know, um, or whether it is something like Bridesmaids where you are crying hysterically while laughing and hyperventilating. And so are people around you and their laughs are making you laugh. And for this, you know. It was a very different experience going and seeing it in a room full of people who were there on purpose to see this thing and to learn a little bit more about it versus, I don't know, going to a half empty movie theater where some people are walking in with a stink attitude to begin with.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have to say, too, like, I'm not sure if you realize this, but like some of the people in that room had come from quite a distance to be in that room. Um, Shout out to to Instagram or Abby Dot Gates uh, out there on uh, Instagram who we met from the answer, the second call group of folks who love this movie and rep it on social media. Uh, because I was not aware that we were sitting in the room with folks who like represent this movie on social media and have created a fandom within a fandom of their own and kind of gather together and do events at different places from around the world. Like they go and meet up in different cities and things and celebrate this movie. And, um, I, I know that they're out there on social media as somebody who follows all the Ghostbusters accounts and tries to keep a te- you know keep an eye on what's going on and who's doing what. Let's talk about it. But it was sort of fascinating to me to see that those folks had come from like across the country <laughs> to, to come yeah. watch this movie. You know that there were folks there who had come and almost pilgrimage to come see the movie because there was this opportunity to not only see it, but also to engage Paul Feig one on one. And, you know, we had like, I'm not even sure if we talked about this at the top of this, but he was serving cocktails to us by the end of the night at the cocktail party next door. So it was this very intimate. Not only do you get to come and watch this movie and have a conversation in a Q&A, but if you were willing to put in the money for it and you really cared about it and you were a VIP, you could hang out with him afterwards and really get some face time to talk with him about the movie and uh, his work. That was really amazing. So. Um, So those of you from answer answer the second call to Abby Gates and stuff, it was very cool to meet uh, folks from the community uh, who are out there who represent and sort of love this film on a regular basis. And it's definitely added to that sense that um, this was a very receptive room, you know, that was very warm and welcoming to what this film offers without a ton of baggage and judgment. And I have to say. I was very um, excited to be in that context. I get to be in that context with other things related to Ghostbusters when it comes to Afterlife or the original films, et cetera. And to be in that context for this movie really changed the way that it felt and the way that it landed as I watched it. What was one of the most surprising or eye-opening things that we found out from the Q&A for you?
5: I don't think it was surprising, but it was it was interesting to hear, you know, sort of in the rush of getting this made um, or not the rush, but just sort of in the pacing of getting this made, even though it was fast, um, it really shows a lot about Paul Feig as a writer and a director and producer and human being that he got so many people on board so quickly. (laughs) When you look at the film, it's not just, you know, the four leads and one supporting movie star Thor person, like every single person in the film, um, whether it's a small cameo from, um, you know, each of the uh, original people or whether it's having, like they said that they had the granddaughter of um which actor was it? Harold Ramis? It. Yeah, Harold Ramis, his granddaughter and, and his, his daughter. daughter have a little cameo in the film, which I didn't know. And I think you didn't I didn't know, know his son either. had
0: one. I never realized that his son was the person who gives the high five outside the right? rock concert. Yeah.
5: And so just that all these amazing people, um, came together like even Bill Murray, right? Even like ornery, obstinate, <laughs> l- leave a voicemail at a number that doesn't even have a message and hope he shows up. Um like it speaks volumes about Paul Feig as a person that he got all these people to come together whether it was for a day or for a couple months to come and play and um and to make this film.
0: Yeah. I have to say that like even Katie Dippel talks about this in her Q and a responses in terms of how they came together, that she didn't think she'd necessarily get another opportunity to do things, you know, with him or to work with him beyond some of the things they'd done together, meeting on parks and rec and, um, a couple of projects they'd been at the office. Right. Um, and that she really was admired him because of his commitment to sort of talking about women in comedy and including female voices in comedy. And when she saw it was going to gonna be a Ghostbusters movie, he was involved in that uh she assumed that it would be him going off to go do things with guys. And instead, she got to do this film with him where he, she got to come on board and work deeply with him on it. And it's something that you see it in terms of how um they talk about the project that the folks who came in came in with some real love for it. So even though it wasn't and didn't end up becoming beloved by everybody else necessarily, the folks who came in really came in with good intentions, you know? Um, and I think that, you're yeah. Like, you're and like that was
5: striking too. I mean, they both told their background stories for him, of course, it, it, you know, as a college student for her, it was a film that, you know, that was like a family film that you watched over and over and over again until the VHS was worn out. And the, both of them came to the project with such profound respect. I mean, they really did, um, Consider whether to, you know, continue the original story as was suggested by um, Reitman originally. And and honestly, they made this film because they wanted to be respectful (laughs) of the original canon. And they're like, that's that's too big. Like, I don't want to touch that. That's perfect. Um, Let's find. Something within the same universe but reimagined. That is,
0: I have to say, like, that's one of the most surprising things to me is that, uh, you know, everybody thinks about reboots as sort of being a disrespect to the original work, right? Like people who right, get upset. Like, at reboots, so, like don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so it was like the, even the fan reaction to this became in some ways, a reaction of why are you rebooting? And I think the thing I said to you, if I recall my, my experience walking out of the theater the first time with you was I said to you, I don't know that it's a bad movie, but it's a movie that made me reminded me about the movie I wanted to be watching. Right. It was so it was like I would watch a bust of Harold Ramis show up on screen and I would go, well, how does Egon fit into this universe? And then I'd start thinking about the other movie as opposed to the one I was supposed to be watching. And so it's so it's funny to me that in the way that they were making these references to the original film while trying to stay outside of it, out of respect, the way that everybody in the fandom or not everybody, but a lot of people in the fandom read that was not as, oh, somebody's like giving homage uh, to the original project, but instead as sort of poking at it while replacing it, you know, and it's very yeah. strange to me to start thinking about how as an a director, you're given that choice of do you go forward with what exists already and be concerned about how you might let everybody down because you're going to misrepresent or mishandle the stuff that they already know and have expectations of versus saying that exists and it exists in its own bubble and should never be touched. (laughs) So let's go do something similar, but different and put a spin on it. And it creates the kind of backlash it didn't. So I hope that more people understand this over time, that like the intent of, at least from his end, regardless of what potentially what sony wanted to do and i'm not trying to throw you know fireballs on anybody at sony either but like there was probably business interests on how we wanted to make a movie or what kind of movie or what audience we'd capture et cetera. Et cetera. those are things that are considerations that get made at a business making level but at a storytelling level he really wanted to make sure that he didn't you know turn over the apple cart of what was already ghostbusters and upset everybody yeah. and instead create and- something that could exist parallel to it
5: Right. And with the two, of, with both Paul Feig and Katie Dippold, um, they talked at length about, you know, things that they wanted to see in a new Ghostbusters film and things that they wanted to pay homage to and things that they'd be really bummed about if they weren't included. And, you know, from uh, choosing... um for, uh, the cameo of the person answering the phone, right? Annie Potts. Um, having a character in a similar vein, like if, if, you know, this character existed in this world, what would her role be? Right. And giving her something similar to do. Like it, it wasn't just random (laughs) and it wasn't just slotting people in to like, Oh, we got him for a day. Let's put him here. Like they actually thought it through and you know, thought of ways that they could sort of play on the characters from the other universe.
0: And that was something that's kind of fun to consider is that they talked about this, that um that originally the cameo idea for Dan Aykroyd was a much more significant part that was far more like a spiritual guide who was in tune with the kind of the spirit realm and things who could provide insight or guidance. And because of time commitments and other constraints, they ended up having to write that part down to just this cabbie who comes in and delivers the line, but that that character was much larger. And to me, I went, well, that totally tracks because it would be kind of parallel to who you get as Ray stance running Ray's occult cult in the original movies, as well as just Dan's, you know, interests in the paranormal and in all the stuff that he's even had his family connections to as being kind of spiritualists who talk about this stuff that gave him the insights to make the original script. And so, you know, I think it's kind of fascinating to wonder like what, we would have seen if they had had their way on getting everything they wanted in the movie, and I agree about with I want a ghost dinosaur, like Katie Dippold's idea of having like yeah. the history of New York that's represented, because that's what kind of I never picked up on that before when when Rowan says in the movie here's like the pride of New York city or whatever it is that he says and throws his hand out. And now all these different ghosts come out. They're all historical reference. They're all different right. periods in history in New York. And so they were going to go all the way back to the dinosaurs. And I'm like, that would have been really fascinating to have a battle with all that, you know, to have all of, and yeah. I do think that part of what happens is that from my perspective, that battle to me has always been very compressed. I don't like how fast paced that is and how all of that stuff gets shot and dealt with so quickly and they move on to go fight a big beast because, I mean, just trapping one ghost in the original Ghostbusters is such a chore. But, <laughs> you know, I think that if you had these ideas in there, if you were going to go in that vein of sort of being fast paced and lots of different things being thrown at them, I mean, why not a dinosaur um, other than budgetary constraints? It would have been fun to see, Yeah. you know?
5: Well, that kind of reminds me. So your question at the Q&A that people will hear after our conversation. Um, was about, you know, if they were to have a sequel where they could do what they wanted and it was set five years in the future, like how Ghostbusters 2 set five years in the future, what would they have done with that? And I thought it was really fascinating that they would have expanded it perhaps to something international and exploring different um, ghost stories in different cultures, right? Like La Llorona in Mexico or, you know, whatever.
0: Yeah, I mean, the question I threw out to him was that Ghostbusters 2 happens and five years later after the original Ghostbusters. So what would five years later have looked like for Ghostbusters 2016 if there had been a Ghostbusters 2021 in that universe, potentially, um, as opposed to an afterlife? And maybe not opposed to, but maybe parallel to. Um, what would that have been? And his response was very quickly sort of like that. He didn't like that the original Ghostbusters kind of Ghostbusters ends and by Ghostbusters 2, you have the city kind of doesn't support them and they're kind of outcasts again and they kind of have to build themselves back up. And so he left Ghostbusters 2016 with this notion that the city was going to support them, that they might be a, lo- a live and thriving business at that point and would go international. And I love that idea of ghosts from different folklore. You know, um, wh- what kinds of different things? I like your examples are good, right? But it's like if we got different ghosts from different cultures, Rather than kind yeah, of just what if like, if we went
5: to Ireland and had some banshees, or you know, whatever? Right.
0: Yeah, it would have been really kind of a very interesting way to deal with it. And he did talk a bit about, you know, the IDW comics brought the, his Ghostbusters back into storytelling a little bit. He'd like to see more of that, you know. And I think um, that yeah, would have and been he said, interesting. Like,
5: parallel, like crossovers and stuff. Yeah, Yep.
0: Yeah. So I mean, and that that exists in the comics because the IDW comics did that. And I think that he sort of suggested that he would have liked to have seen the current run of films doing a little bit of that so that they could have their day in that too. But he was also very respectful of, you know, the Jason Reitman's movies exist out there and that they're that both him and Katie Dippold said that they were excited that he's had the opportunity to do what he's done with the movie since, you know? So I, I have to say like, I didn't go into this event opposed to the movie by any means because I love everything Ghostbusters, but I went in wondering like what this, what we would find out from the Q and a, like, would it, tell us a lot about how the movie was made, how things it, and we got a lot more, I think about sort of the vulnerability of what happened in the aftermath and um, what the intentions were that I think I've probably ever heard in any other context. Like, so, you know, if there's a reason to put up with bad audio quality of the way we had to record the interview on a phone, it's because that's what's in there is kind of this context that I don't think we've really gotten from Paul in other
1: situations. So.
5: I think it's pretty cool That they're not bitter about what they've experienced. Yeah. It would be very easy. You know, you and I are public figures. We're both teachers. We've experienced online stuff (laughs) in our careers. It's just (laughs) the fact of the world. I'm sure most people have. And, And that's like on a very small scale. And we know like how like triggering and dramatic. It can feel, you know, your heart starts racing and you feel like you're going to vomit reading terrible things about how you're just an awful person. And like, they had that on a massive scale. And for still do. years and, and still, still do. do, but they're still proud of the work that they made. And they're yeah. not mad at fans. They're very, um, understanding and gracious about it which is yeah there like was a really point where, katie Dippold,
0: where katie Dippold said um something along the lines of there are some people out there who are upset because they didn't get the continuation of the story that they like and they have a legitimate argument right that she was like they can feel that way but it's this sort of vitriolic um, you know, extension into let's rage into hate. That's particularly problematic. And to be fair, like that's not most most people. I think are not messaging Paul Feig on a regular basis, being like "fuck you, buddy." I hope you die. <laughs> right, but like there are some people out there who are, and there are some people who every time the thing comes up, every time the thing shows up in in a social media post or whatever, need have the compulsion to say, "I'm gonna make a pop shot at this because I think I might get some likes for it." And it's sad. It's really kind of sad. But in the same time, they have. Maintained a commitment to still like loving this movie and what they did to produce it, you know. I mean, to the extent that like it's silly to think about this, but um, we knew we were going to a cocktail hour with Paul Feig, right? Like, you and I both knew that going in, we we're like, hey, we have VIP tickets, that's awesome, we're gonna get to have drinks in a context with Paul Feig. And if you remember, we went to go see Weird Al, Weird Al had done like a, a dinner at the same event when the Good Deed Corps had him. We saw them. We came in and we saw him sitting at all the tables, like walking from table to table and sitting with people while they were eating. Right. And so in this context, that's what I expected. I figured Paul was going to circulate the room and talk to people while people sat there and drank. But instead, what ended up happening was you and I came in. There were two bartenders behind the bar who were making Paul's drink. And then Paul came in and then Paul was making Paul's drink for everyone. He became literally the bartender of his cocktail hour. And it was very surreal to me because you and I during the pandemic would put Paul on a live stream and he would make a cocktail and hold a cocktail hour on Instagram during the pandemic because everybody was like the world is melting down. And here was the dapper guy in the suit giving comedy and showing how to make a drink and basically being like, I've got a lot of liquor in my liquor cabinet. I have nowhere to go. What can we do together each day at five? And like, we suddenly had that experience in the room with somebody who just got up and talked to us about how this movie had given them so much grief. Do you know what I was just like, I don't understand how anybody could ever look at Paul Feig and see him as a cold or like, dark hearted man who tried to do wrong in making a ghostbusters movie because everything he tried to do, it was, it seemed like his intentions were in the right place, but there might've been some miscalculations along the way and some pressures to say, we got to get a movie made because we want this movie for next year. Cause we need a box office hit by then because we got to capitalize on what we got going. So it's, yeah. it's one of those, you know, it's a 25th anniversary. We got to get this thing out there or whatever it was, whatever the logic was at the time, you know, um, that was compelling and driving that um it really it really kind of this weekend kind of gave me this sense of, of feeling like he's he's been done some wrong you know that he, he there should be more receptiveness to this film because it was made with a lot of love and it may not be the thing that everybody likes but by the same token like I don't really find the extreme Ghostbusters to be my cup of tea but it doesn't mean I have any ill will towards anybody involved in it you know so I don't know.
5: So one thing that they reflected on, too, was that, you know, it's a miracle anytime a film comes out at all (laughs) because there's (laughs) so much involved. And, you know, as creative people, you with your podcast, me with the shows that I direct at the high school where I teach, um, like we know that firsthand, right? There is so much that happens and so many elements that have to fall into place. So. I don't know. I don't know what the point is that I was going to, but, um, yeah, just celebrating that this movie got made at all. (laughs) It's like, it, it happened. God. I mean, really 2015, 2016 when I think back to like what was going on back then and specifically what was going on with this film, like any, any little thing could have caused it to be canceled. I mean, God, in the news last week, that Roadrunner film, right? Like that was just resuscitated from the dead because people went on social media and, (laughs) you know, talked about like all the work and all the love that went into this thing that people made. And And that's in the wake of like them canceling a a Batgirl
0: movie, like Warner Brothers making this a a strategy of basically saying, well, we've got content that's mostly done or done. Let's just make it a tax write off instead. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I think you're right about that. Like there is sort of a, a, a thing you have to appreciate about finishing a project, you know, and and then yeah. def- and not necessarily defending it. Like, I don't this is the thing, thing I'll say last night. I didn't feel like anybody was standing there making an argument to me about you need to appreciate this movie. It was entirely a, you know, a sort of reflection on what the experience has been since putting the movie out and then saying this is what our intentions were. And we're glad you enjoyed it as an audience here tonight. And we wish that more people were willing to, you know, kind of give it the time of day and that it didn't get caught into the milieu of political nonsense that it did. So,
5: yeah, it helped to have that context as a framing for it. And I don't know, it helped to set the tone of like, hey, (laughs) here's how this came about. Here's what our intentions were. Here's what we wanted to do. Here's what we did. It was a joyous working experience. Which I mean, say what you like about the film, but like you can tell they're having the best time ever making that film yeah. in every single scene. Um, so, you know, that's not nothing. That's a joyous no, and, <laughs> and working experience. What's for also months odd is on end,
0: and they talked about this that like in some ways the things that were happening to them in terms of harassment were happening as they were making the movie. So these people are all walking on the set together. And they're all facing opposition, right? Like they're, right. they're literally dealing with public opposition before they come to work. And like, imagine if, if you and I had that going into work in the morning of like, you wake up in the morning and find five articles about why you suck as a teacher.
3: <laughs> right. right. Like, they just show well, up on social media. And they're making a film
5: that's about underdogs who are like right. having lies spread about them by the media. Right. So it's, it's a very meta yeah, thing
0: like it is a very meta thing to have heard these stories over, you know, the, over the sort of course of the afternoon and evening um, was very meta in that sense and kind of gives you some insight of like what, you know, even there's the, the lost joke that isn't in the theatrical version when Rowan is, you know, kind of grandstanding and he says all of these spirits are all think that the world is garbage and they're all going to help cleanse it. And then he says, most of them are dudes, but he doesn't say that in the theatrical version. And it wasn't in the script. It was a thing that he ended up ad-libbing in the moment because they were dealing with how many angry white men were sending them hate mail via Twitter such that they began to come to work and cope on set with. And then to me, that's so weird is that it's like they literally were living out being denied the opportunity to be treated legitimately as Ghostbusters in a very yeah. meta sense and then making a movie about that at the same time. And it makes you go, man, like, I wonder what that experience would have been like if people had just been more open and welcoming to this film and whether that set would have been even more joyful as opposed to one where the joy was being found by kind of coping through the moment in the way that they talked about, you know? So yeah, I wonder yeah. what
5: the afterlife set would have been like, cause that's a pretty serious <laughs> right? film. Like right. if they had been dealing with the same level of, scrutiny and harassment like that that would have been a completely different film.
0: Could you imagine if there had been a weird politician who was got up and was like,
5: they're making a movie with children in it! How dare they! We need to exterminate kids! Children (laughs) can't be Ghostbusters. No, never.
0: (laughs) They have the kid from Stranger Things as a Ghostbuster! What's going on? (laughs) Just... It would have been a really weird look. But yeah, any any yeah. other final comments you want to make about your trip to meet Paul Feig? You did have your moment where you got to say uh, hi to him. I know you weren't going to because you didn't want to be awkward around him until I sort of pushed you to the bar to say hi. But
5: <laughs> yes, I he's a very nice person and gracious and um just seems like a very nice person. Uh, One of the organizers of the event, Rebecca um, came and talked to us for a bit. And, uh, you know, she talked about how nice it was collaborating with him on this and, um, how much he enjoyed getting to, to show this cut of the film with people who could appreciate it. And that it, you know, was really something that he had been looking forward to. um, so I'm glad that we got to experience that together and that we, uh, you know, in this week of Thanksgiving, that we were able to lift the spirits of the people who created this thing that brought a lot of joy to people.
0: Yeah, I, um, I have to say that it was a kind of weird and surreal experience for me because two years ago on the same weekend, I was hopping between a Friends and Family screening of Ghostbusters Afterlife, an AMC theater screening in Torrance so I could go try and get myself some um, (laughs) Ecto-1 popcorn buckets. And then you and I were off seeing the uh, IMAX presentation of Ghostbusters Afterlife like the following day. And so I was thinking about this while we were sitting there watching the movie that two years later, I was in a much smaller theater with a different director of a different Ghostbusters movie um, and having a very interesting and thoughtful Interaction that really changes my perspective and understanding of that film, and it's something that I'm going to value and cherish just as much as I do, you know, going off and being able to have any of those experiences at the friends and family screening or anything else because it really opened my eyes to some of how this movie was made. Uh, it's something that I'm hopeful that maybe we'll get to talk a little bit more without with Paul Feig in the future, either on this podcast or off in other venues. So, um, yeah, I I really valued this experience. I thought it was really great, and I'm glad we got to do it together.
5: Me too. All right, Ghostbusters people, you should definitely check out the audio from the Q&A and hope you enjoy it as much as we did.
0: Yeah, uh that Q&A audio will follow this. Uh it will be a little bit cut up with some segments of me kind of coming in and guiding you through it. And part of the reason for that is that the uh audio was recorded on a cell phone, so you can imagine that it's not exactly the best audio, but I'm going to tell you that it's worth you putting in a half hour of time to I uh, listened to it, but there's a couple of segments I did cut out of it. There was an auction uh, at the event that would allow you to get a zoom phone call at Melissa McCarthy that went for $750 to somebody who uh, ponied for up that minutes. night for 10 minutes. Although they did say that she might talk so much that you have to just pretend that and you're still listening zoom. Yeah, <laughs> or in the zoom. Uh, but rather than treat people to the ongoing shouting of an auction on podcast, I kind of cut that out uh, as well as a couple other moments that are just kind of audience, uh clapping or noise but all of the responses are there so i strongly encourage you if you thought this part of the conversation was interesting stick around uh, for the next half hour or so and check out the uh, Q&A with Paul Feig and Katie Dippold and Leah um thank mm. you for everything you contribute to Extra Plasm because people have no idea uh just how much time you set aside to make sure that i can record in a way that sounds good that you are supportive of the podcast and probably the most important thing you do is that uh, you are the person who every time I finish recording an interview with somebody and get begin to develop the self doubt of a person who's not sure if they do anything right you are the person who goes those people could have left you already if they didn't want to talk to you you're fine um so
5: the real question <laughs> is are we going to talk for 3 hours once we stop recording
0: Yeah I'm going to come like down the hall do. and tell you about just <laughs> how anxious I am that you and I recorded a podcast and I don't yeah, know Yeah and, be able and I can, can
5: reassure you that I don't hate you
0: so. Yeah. Okay. That's great. This is going to be a great rest it's of the evening. It's a good evening. plan. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the podcast, and I love you. You're great. So
5: love you too. All right. Okay. Bye, Ghostbusters people.
0: All right. Stick around and uh, check out the Q and A in just a moment. The Q and A segment you're about to hear was recorded at Dynasty Typewriter in Los Angeles on November 19th, 2023. It features Paul Feig, director and co-writer of Ghostbusters: Answer the Call. And his co-writer Katie Dippold. The Q&A is moderated by Don Foster, treasurer of the Good Deed Corps, and producer of famed sitcoms like Two and a Half Men, The Big Bang Theory, Mike and Molly, Dharma and Greg, and Louie. Unfortunately, we didn't manage to get the audio of Paul's curtain speech before the movie, but the entirety of the Q&A that followed the film is provided here, with a few slight edits to remove moments of clapping or cheering, and a segment that featured a live auction that was difficult to clean up. So forgive the audio quality here, please, as it is recorded from some devices in the audience rather than off the soundboard. And thanks to the Good Deed Core for contributing some audio clips to help document the event. Enjoy. These guys wrote
4: that
3: book? <laughs>
1: so many childhoods. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh my God! Oh. Well, I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I gotta say, go, go, sorry, go. I,
1: I, what a kick it was to watch it with you guys because uh, I, uh, we were just saying we haven't seen it really since it came out, and it's just so fun to see it with, yeah. in front of people who are friendly. I well, wanted well, <laughs> <to> see it <laughs> yeah, exactly. I never had that experience.
2: <laughs> <laughs> theater you're like well let's see how this goes but
3: like you came <laughs> <paid> here <laughs> 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 really nice and it'll always be like this. <laughs> and about uh, five people snuck in from the movie next door oh no, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> but you could still do i think in 2016. i, I think you <laughs> that's one thing you can still do god, uh,
1: 2016
3: oh. is crazy holy smokes yeah <laughs> oh well i I'm, I'm gonna just ask a, a quick question or two because you've heard money from me. You know what a big fan I am, but I'm going to, uh, if I can bring up the Bell twins, the lovely yeah. folks in the Ghostbusters, yeah. and they'll have you guys, they'll have uh, mics. So I, I think it would be nice, if you, would you mind, we'll bring up the house lights so you can see folks, ask some questions. I know we've got a lot of questions in a short time to do yeah. it but i'm just going to start with just a little origin story here about how you guys came to meet and decide oh. to write this thing right? well we first
1: met
2: we first met on the heat i had written a spec script Woo! And, uh, he was my dream director bridesmaids like changed my world like to watch a movie and just see so much of the female point of view and he has always loved female comedy writers and comedic actresses, he's always found women funny, like, before you had to, you know? <laughs> <laughs> have to give him so much credit for that. Like, when he would say it, it was like, oh, what is this, you know? But, um, so I love Bridesmaids so much, and I thought, you know, he's not going to want to do another female comedy. He's now going to do his men's stuff. <laughs> and uh, so I didn't think there was a shot, but then somehow he got a hold of it and signed on, and so that's how we
1: met. We met, at, 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 I was saying, early before the movie, at Comic-Con. Remember, we all went there as the the morning. I I told Amy Pascal who wanted to do it, and I was like, "Hey, uh, Jesse and I were like, Let, let's go to lunch." And we told you, and you were, you were so excited and into it. Yes, and it was just I mean, it was just a, it was a real whirlwind too. I mean, we had yeah. wrote it. We had to write it. We had to write it pretty quick.
2: It was very fast. It all happened very, very fast for yeah. sure. Yeah, Because yeah, they
1: wanted it basically to come out the next, the next summer. And yes. This was the previous summer. So and we were
2: writing the first draft. It was like November, December. I feel like. Yeah. And then turned it in, and then it was we were shooting in the summer.
1: Yeah.
2: Crazy, in hindsight.
1: Got yeah. all of Boston, and we actually first met on Parks and Rec.
2: Oh, that's right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Yes. He was part of the writers. Mm-hmm, right.
3: <laughs> oh my God. And I'm, I'm just going to toss in, you because this is about me. I met <laughs> I, Paul, I think we met like 30 yeah, years ago. Yeah, when I was an actor, yeah. Yeah. Totally. yeah. And uh, we, we worked on a little show called The, the Louis Louis Show with Louie Anderson. Yeah. Rest soul. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Paul and I have been buddies for long enough for. Uh, uh, a bunch of us got together in Las Vegas uh, for my 40th birthday, so you know you're really old when you go, this is the 25th anniversary of my 40th birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and we all gave each other, we called them Vegas names, you know, uh, uh, we all there were like 20 of us there and said, you're this person, you're this person, just kind of in the spur of the moment. And uh, Paul is the kid. He was five years <laughs> and I'm going, look at him now, look at this dapper, look at this guy, I couldn't be more proud oh, of the kid, you. I couldn't be more proud that we're doing this, this feels like, this is the beginning of the holiday season, we've yeah. killed some ghost pilgrims, <laughs> we're ready for some awkward Thanksgiving, with family, go. we're going to have cocktails, we're going to really just kick off the weekend, but I just love to toss it. Oh, if you're cool, yeah, please. for folks that came here, huge fans, just up for any questions you have for for uh, for Paul and Katie and the, about the movie. And, and I just got a like shout out, out to Toby
1: Huss. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> he played uh, 1940s cop. We yeah. had <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so much fun it was like At the one point, I think Toby were like, let's bring this to the 2000s. It <laughs> yeah, was pretty 1940s. Be back a <laughs> <laughs> I made me like still make me laugh. Who threw him out the windows? <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. uh, there's
1: lots of uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, It's like the Disney uh, Ranger. I was like, oh, man. Oh, Bobby's
3: <laughs> Anybody else from the movie here? <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Is Robin here? Well, here's the thing. I, I got a. I got some some calls, emails, texts from folks that I've asked. out of town. They're yep. fancy, exotic places. Yes. All kinds of folks. Exactly. But I mean, as the movie was going away. Gruber is electrocuted ghost. Yeah, Gruber yeah, right? is, is the subway <laughs> ghost, right? Banos yeah. as flashers. <laughs> Flasher goes, you know, exactly. But uh, among those that, that uh, had a line or two, I got a lovely, uh, we had a very nice conversation by phone just a couple of days ago, uh, Melissa McCarthy. Oh, right? yeah, you know, I got her. Wonderful, okay. <laughs> and she said, what can I do to help? You okay. know, well, that's what right. can I do? And she, she was hoping to be here. She flew to New York like yesterday at this time. So we've just missed it. like a whisper. Just a whisper.
0: Okay, so a quick editorial note here. Uh, This is a spot where there was an auction for a Zoom call with Melissa McCarthy, but rather than uh, subject you to a lot of audience chatter and yelling out of different bids and things, uh, we're going to cut from that to the beginning of the Q&A, which followed immediately after that uh, auction. Uh, The first question was cut off, unfortunately, in the process of doing that. So uh, the question that's being asked, you're about to hear is about how the cameos came about in the movie and whether or not they were planned ahead of time or how they were brought into being such that all of the different folks from the first Ghostbusters movies uh, were included and given cameo roles in the film. And uh, we'll go back to the commentary or rather Q&A and let Paul and Katie explain the answer to that question.
5: You hit, for nostalgia purposes, you hit
3: every single thing I would want to see in the film, so thank you for that, including, you know, Stay Pumped and, and, <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> Honor, and all, <laughs> that, all of that. <laughs> so you hit it, but how did they come? When you wrote the script, did you write them knowing that was going to happen? Did you cast it? How, how did all of that happen?
1: Katie was really the one who felt like we wanted to, I remember when we were coming with stuff and she goes, ah, here's the things I'd be really bummed about if I didn't see in the movie. It was like the Ecto-1, Slimer, and then it became about the, you know, the, the other cast yeah. members too.
2: Yes, and uh, I know Dan Aykroyd, we originally had a much longer thing for him. It yeah. was like a long scene where he was this kind of spiritual guy named Rick Gale that Man. annoyed Aaron, like didn't want to deal with this guy, he seemed like a fraud, and uh but it just became this whole other longer part of the script that we just had to cut down. So we ended up coming up with the cab cameo, yeah, and it was just kind of quicker. and he was he was the best yeah. he was so nice he was so, so fun on set everyone was so excited to see him and he was just like the loveliest i had the like, person he was wonderful yeah and they were all wonderful I'm not um and then bill murray i can't remember how that started but we all i know we didn't know if he was going to come
1: yeah but. <laughs> well you were on the part for bill murray right and when you want to work with bill murray they're they're given a phone number <laughs> and it just it's picks good. up and Like, goes beep. And you just leave a message for Bill Murray. There's no agent, there's no lawyer or anything. And you're like, well, and you just ask to make the request, and you have no idea if he's going to show up. And so, literally, up until the day before, we had no idea if he was going to show up.
2: I feel like even
1: day of we still. Yeah, we were yeah, it was literally like Missy Imperato, our, our live producer. She had People staked out of the airport. He's like, he's getting off the plane. He's getting off the plane. But I, but the backup plan, I was gonna play the part because like I, mean, he doesn't, I guess I'll do it. So thank God he showed up and he was so wonderful. But it was that was a crazy moment for both of us because as Ghostbusters fans, he'd been saying for years and years and years he would do nothing. He wanted nothing to do with the Ghostbusters sequel. And when he showed up on the set, it was just like it blew our minds. Yeah. And his only request was that he dressed like Quentin Crisp. (laughs) That's why he's wearing (laughs) this. But he was a delight. Yeah.
2: And then, so I I can't remember how we came up with other ones, um, but I know like Sigourney Weaver was like the most exciting thing, like for me. I also I love Working Girls, one of my favorite movies of all time. So lovely, and uh, it was really fun to have her be like, you know, another scientist. And the other Jillian, exactly. yes, exactly. For, for so, screw you, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I can't remember when we came up with Ernie's thing, but that was pretty early on too. Yeah. I feel like
1: we that. Well, we were shooting for the moon. We definitely wanted to try to get everybody in there, and that's why even when we came up with the Harold bust, because we couldn't figure out how to put Harold in. Yeah. So. Yeah, and the only person we almost got—we the part that Brian Baumgartner plays—he's you know, and the guy that runs out of the hotel. That was actually going to be for um, Rick Morena's, but he—he uh, he turned it down. So, I know he—he he, actually he was going through a really bad time with his family. And uh,
2: and Harold's family came to set a lot, and that
1: was yeah. really really nice. Well, actually, the, the 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 guy when when we're outside of the the uh, rock concert, and the guy who comes up to uh, Neil Casey and like gives him the big crazy high five—that's Harold's son. Yeah. And actually, and there's a, oh, and Harold's daughter and and, and grandson are the firemen. The, the, the firemen they, yeah, they're on the street. Yeah. Oh no, they're 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 hanging out outside of the the firehouse. Yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah. So yeah. You, they're just there. But just, she was really shy. I was like, you got a movie. So we just she's in there people for her. <laughs> Yeah. Andy Potts. Potts. Yeah. Wow, yeah. That's right.
2: I think we like. I feel like we wanted her to seem like in similar vein of her character in the original. You know, yeah. have to
1: say her line. Well, we, it's so funny. I mean, you know, that's why haters really took us on for, oh, it was fan service. But it's like, but the same reaction you guys had every time we would screen it. People would be so happy when somebody would pop up. You know, and we didn't want to milk it too much. It's kind of like, there they are. They they approve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, it was
3: just really they were all so. Awesome. Well, I think you guys did it beautifully because for me it felt like it's this parallel world where 1984 Ghostbusters didn't happen. Yeah, these people are the right age. You went, oh, that's a perfect job for Annie Potts's character. Yeah, you know. That's what you, you know. Yeah, exactly. character, driving the He camp. still knows
1: about ghosts. Yeah, <laughs> he uses exactly. jargon. I, I thought you guys did
3: just beautiful.
1: Well, and, and Ivan Reitman, who's very sadly gone now, um, you know, was very involved. And once we had done this, he got together with IW, I, 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 I think is the, the comic book company that does all the Ghostbusters comic books. They've been doing them for years. He went to them and had them do Ghostbusters comics about our team, and then he had them create a series where there's a portal, they break through a portal and the two teams come together. And there's these really fun comic books they put out with the two teams together, which I, I kind of wish they would do in these current movies are doing, but you know, whatever. It's a, we're, we're proud of ours, and uh, there's, there's a scene at the very end of the, the, the uh, credits. Uh, that we didn't show, but but where it kind of sets up a sequel that oh, right,
2: right, right, never right. happened. But I remember when you first brought this up to me, I thought you meant a remake like it would be like Bankman, like all the same people, just different roles, but then I remember it was very important to you for it to be a totally new story and new characters, and so like when people were like, oh they're just redoing the thing, it's like, no, it was always really important for him to still create something new within this world that we all loved, you know, and I thought that was very
1: smart. Well, I mean, it had been it'd been so long, it had been like 25 years since Ghostbusters II, I think. Um And it just Woo! kind of felt like, yeah, <laughs> pretty <good>. um, <laughs> But it felt like, I felt like I kind of wanted, because I had read the script that they had written, and it was, I mean, you know, they're all really great writers, they're just somehow they're, kids who kind of knew about the Ghostbusters. It always it, here's my problem, it always required the world to forget about the Ghostbusters. You know, I like to forget that like a city had been taken over by the paranormal. And it always felt weird to me. So we kind of both loved the idea of let's introduce, let's go into a world that has never seen a ghost, that doesn't believe in ghosts, and then we get to you know bring them up.
2: And I feel like all the stuff about validation just came in Organically, because that's what we were dealing with yeah.
1: <laughs> by doing oh, no. this movie. Oh my yeah. god! No, that's why we got nods. And that, I mean, that, that still my favorite is uh, that was a joke that was written on set. The uh, um, uh, Ain't no bitches, gonna uh, no ghosts," <laughs> <laughs> which is just our kind of like pop off. Like, <laughs> you We'd know, already been pilloried for like a year and a half. <laughs> i mean it just never let up they did never we it, who knew it was going to be so contentious i don't want to dwell on that but it just was kind of like our intention was let's not take on the original one like i said before the movie because this this will be great now they won't they won't be mad you know the, the hyper fans because there's over there and here's you know, the new generation wrong we were <laughs> but uh no but hey, it's really sort of i mean i honestly i get approached Few times a week by by people whose kids love it, their boys love it. Say it's their favorite Ghostbusters. You know, it's not a contest. I, I love the original Ghostbusters too, and the new ones too. But uh, you know, it just I just you know, I just wish we could get out of this competition and the media still shit on it. <laughs> so yeah,
2: oh my, I also feel like it worked out. Like I'm glad Jason Reitman got to do his movies yeah. do you know what i mean i don't know that that would have necessarily happened that way without this so there should be something for everyone
1: well and he has he has said publicly mm-hmm. we did a big ghostbusters event a few years ago and he thanked us and said that without what we did they it would not have happened
3: mm-hmm. that's nice uh, oh my god yes
4: uh, i'm curious how you were so prescient has had Keith mckinnon talk about ken
1: <laughs> I, tell you, I know. I mean, when it came up, I was just like, "Oh my gosh, we've got a we got a modern joke in here." <laughs> you know what? Uh, jokes about no genitalia are just uh, timeless,
0: really. Ghostbusters Two opens five years later, and Ivan Reitman's Ghostbusters Two. If you had had the chance, what would your five years later have looked like?
1: oh my gosh good question yeah well I know we wanted to go kind of international with it because especially when when we were doing the the press junket all over the world every country has very specific ghost stories and and like famous ghosts in their folklore and all that so we really kind of like the idea of that wanted to try to avoid the whole thing they did in Ghostbusters 2 where it like Everybody's mad at the Ghostbusters because they tore up the city. Like, "Eh, come on! I mean, I I love the movie, but that was was kind of like, would you be mad at them for saving the city? (laughs) So um, I don't know. I I think I think they'd be probably running a pretty successful business, but maybe the paranormal had dropped off a bit. Like they cured it, and then it comes back. Possibly, I don't know. Do you ever?
2: You know, I feel like we wrote the tag like, well, this will be fun. We'll worry about that
3: later. <laughs> <laughs> and we never had to worry about it.
1: <laughs>
3: well, one of my favorite things, just hopefully quickly, is and was the dissolve from Times Square of 2016 into, Vegas, you know, yeah. the glory days yeah. that Rowan wished on the city. You know. That with this fury and Willard you know a 1971 more yeah. or less you know
1: we were very proud of that when we came up with that That that's just seemed like a fun way to do it I mean we went through a lot of iterations you at one point had a ghost dinosaur remember? oh
2: that's <laughs> right I wanted that ghost dinosaur so bad <laughs> <laughs> there was a way more expensive version they were going all through Manhattan for a while I don't know if oh remember. yeah oh no yeah. we were chasing
1: all over and yeah. up and down the elevator shafts and all that no it was wild I mean I I really like this extended version because you just get more of Aaron's kind of angst. But the whole nosebusters thing with the Chris Gethard is so much fun. But but the whole dance number, we had that we couldn't put it in the final film because they couldn't get the special effects ready in time. (laughs) Yeah, so so it was really just for the for the extended cut. They they finished it, but they just finished it late. (laughs) Oh
2: wow!
4: Yeah,
1: so uh, that's but I I always get very sad that that's not in the the one. The theatrical one, but actually, I, I've pretty much gotten almost every place that shows it to all only show this version now. But occasionally, yeah, the yeah,
3: other yeah. one pops oh, so. up. The other one's fun too. But. Yeah, the other one's pretty fun. Yeah, exactly. but this this is like almost I, I don't know. I'm just so there, now, you guys built a whole green screen world outside of Boston. Right? Yeah, story, right, right? Yeah, to do the. T- yeah, Times Square,
1: yeah, because, uh, it's so funny, the Hubers. we both had of writing it like, don't let us shoot in Times Square, we can shut some Times Square down, all right." I was convinced they would let us because it's costbusters.
2: Uh, I remember there was a location scouting in New York, and we had this dream tourist day where this, like, van took us to all the spots, like the Empire State Building and the Chrysler Building, and it was so much fun, and then it ended, it's like, oh, Boston? Boston? Okay. No, you can't really. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, we can't get any of
1: these locations. Okay. Great. <laughs> but it worked out fine. Yeah, we had to, for Times Square. We really—it was a giant, it, it, like, parking lot. I mean, it was beyond a parking lot. It was just this open area. I think the Air Force or something. And we just had uh, containers, you know, shipping containers, stacked too high around this giant thing with just green screens all over. And then we built the front of the Mercado and that block there. But everything else, uh, yeah, it was all green screens. I mean, it's funny, though, you know, watching a movie from 2016, you know, it, it, special effects advance as time goes on, so there's some stuff I see in this, like, oh, you know, it'd be better today, but uh, but still, I, I just like the sort of the bright color, I mean, that'd put some people off, but I,
3: I think Oh, so. man, no, I, yeah, yeah. I, it's weird that we think of that as nostalgic. I really, yeah. that really appealed, like, the big brightness of it with just, oh, just, Right. For the comedy level of it, and, you know, it
1: just, I don't
3: know. It we was just not... wanted to be big
1: and colorful. A lot, a lot of
2: practical in it. There was so much yeah. practical stuff in it that I thought was
1: great. Well, our go- all our ghosts are practical, actually. And they were just then had a, a veneer of, of the effects put over them. But like Bess Rouse, who pay, plays uh, uh, Gertrude Aldridge in the beginning, who comes up. That was, we had her, she was all in that outfit on this, like, like, kind of, catapult system we had around and we were floating her in. So that was all happening. So they were interacting with her. The whole fight in uh, uh, Times Square, that's all stunt people doing these amazing stunts. And then we just kind of you know, yeah. ghosted them up. Uh, shout out to Walter Garcia, my, my great uh, uh, stunt coordinator who uh, put all that together.
2: They're incredible. Um, which reminds me, I remember once uh, I had walked over the craft services table, which I would often do. <laughs> and uh, I came back and they were just about to film a stunt when Chris Hemsworth picks up one of the cops and throws him in the ceiling. And I didn't know that was happening. And I walked back, and I was just, like, nibbling on something. And I looked at the monitor, and they start, and then all of a sudden I see that happen. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) What (laughs) happened? Like, how would he do that? (laughs) I think
1: we heard it on set.
3: (laughs) (laughs) We went for it. (laughs)
2: Hollywood trickery. There
3: There you go. Question right over. Oh, there we go. Right there.
2: Okay, go ahead. Okay. Sure? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. um,
4: while the person is it is interviewing that guy that that they put weird things in the water behind them, was that the person from
1: it is, it's Johnny Higgins. Good, good catch, that's... good eye. See? Whoa! Well done, man. Well done. The Baba
3: Bully. You were, yeah, the Baba Bully. That's, a, yeah, that's Which, Johnny. And Johnny was at the PA on the movie. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. Oh my God, and now so, his yeah. movie just premiered like two nights ago? Yeah, on a peacock, and if, if you haven't seen Do Not Destroy I'm sure you all have. That's yeah. the no, that's a good, great observation. And his dad. Right, Steve
1: Higgins was the dean of the bad uh, science school. <laughs> Higgins school. You have no idea how hard I had to fight the studio to keep that flipping off <laughs> sequence <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> I had to trade out. Actually, there's another quick joke in the, in the interview with the, interviewing Kevin for the first time where. Jillian Holtzman says, ghost tits was my name in in high school. And he goes, oh, yeah. And we had the biggest, I mean, literally, I had to have, you know, a little showbiz story. Um, I had in my contract that if we got to a certain number on our testing, that I could then have final cut. And so we, you know, we, we, we did some reshoots to kind of fix some stuff that we didn't have, and by the, when we did the very last screening, in my contract it said if we got a 90 score, which means 90 out of 100 people who say it's excellent or very good, and if we got a, a 75 definitely recommend, which means 75% of people say they would definitely recommend it and then I would get final cut. We got a 9075, exactly, this it, it test in Arizona, and so I'm just celebrating, celebrating, and Tom Rothman is just looking at me. And uh, next thing, I, I get called into their office like, we can't keep the ghost tits joke, we can't keep, and the flipping off, we can't, because I, I have final cut, I have final cut. And literally, this is when, this is so showbiz, Michael Linton was like the head of Sony. They literally, I had a, a meeting, he flew in to negotiate with me, about wow. ghost tits and the flipping thing <laughs> and finally like I sacrificed goats, ghost tits um, to keep the flipping up thing <laughs> and then I got some extra perks for the for the, uh, the press tour for everybody so
3: and then for the extended you yes, got and it I put everything back in for the extended, and you yes. got rights to the spinoff of the TV show ghost tits and bird yes <laughs> yes the cops so, well done thank you it's very exciting Fashion uh, project Yeah, exactly <laughs> 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 we have uh we the, have the, right there right there yes
5: i'm paul and katie i'm oh. here with um answer the second call which is a fan group of mostly lgbt are you guys women. here i'm oh. here oh I'm
2: my
4: gosh here. yep <laughs> oh you're but the we're best a
5: fan group of mostly lgbt women
2: who really love this film and have really had our lives changed <sighs> in a positive way because of this film so i just wanted to let you know that, first of all. Um, But I also wanted to ask, are there any really standout stories from the positive reaction to the film that you guys just like hold close to your heart?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I swear, you guys, first of all, I will say you guys are fantastic. I feel
2: like I heard, you know, and a lot of people have told me how much it meant to them seeing Kate McKinnon Having that showdown scene with the ghosts, which, uh, for what it's worth, I did not write and I believe fought. I'm like, they're scientists, not fighters. <laughs> so I can't even take credit for it, but it's it makes me very happy how much it means to people to see her be so. Like, she's also like, you know, Kate was so great, and it's just, I see that kind of swagger, too, you know, in a female star in a movie, it was just really exciting. So. Yeah, no,
1: people really, always would get big applause, which was really fun. No, I mean, you know, the, the frustration with everything these days is that, you know, the number of haters we had, you know, I mean, you know, there was a bunch, probably, you know, numbered, in, you know, the, let's say thousands, um, but the media takes that and they, they just made it all about that. And so if that wasn't out there, it just would have been like a fun summer movie, but it became this political cause and people on both sides, they were amplifying all the haters. And so if you're not, if you don't follow showbiz, you go like, oh, I guess that movie's terrible because all these people are mad about it. And that was so frustrating. I, I just found like kind of, they just kind of let us do our thing. We could have at least lived or died on our on our own. And we didn't, we did but we didn't go off the roof like we were, everybody wanted us to. Um,
3: but on, well, off, I, offhand, how how many millions
1: did it make? Uh, maybe two hundred twenty-five million. That's millions. crazy. <laughs> 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 These days, I don't know. They just shit on everything. It'd be making seventy million. Tough. Yeah, yeah, but it, you know, it. it definitely did not bomb. But uh, no, yeah, I, we're so proud of
2: it. It really did get politicized. Like, I also feel like there's different types of people who didn't want the movie. Like, there are people who just wanted to see a true sequel, which is yeah. understandable. Like, yeah. that's fine. That's okay that you could be disappointed. It's not that. Yeah. And I feel like somehow they got lumped in with people that just
1: had. Darker, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know. So really it, just kind
2: of, it just sort of spread this thing apart that it shouldn't have, I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it became too, uh, too divisive. But anyway, yeah. what are you gonna do? I, 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 I,
2: We're okay. over it, obviously. No, totally. <laughs> <laughs> <You're fine>. Yeah, <laughs> no,
4: clearly
3: because you, you won. Yes, Rowan exactly. exactly. Not, did, you know, the Rowans of the world did uh, not win that one.
1: Well, that's... I, it, it, people read so much stuff into everything in the movie. I, I was glad... That, that was the, the line that we, we took out of the cut that I got to put back in here, which he, he had... The, Neil added this, and he goes, they're mostly dudes. Right. I was like, that's the greatest line ever. And they're like, oh, let's not poke the bear anymore. And shout out to Neil Casey, who was just...
2: So funny. So
1: Because yeah. I had done a TV show um, called uh, Other Space for Yahoo Screen mm-hmm. that I was very proud of. And Karin Sony is one of the stars of it, Bess Rouse is uh, one of the stars. And, and, and Neil was uh, what's hilarious in the show. And so I actually kind of took a lot of people from that show and put them in the movie. But
2: He does a lot of improv in L.A., if you ever get a chance. If you're in L.A. and want to see him in an improv show, he's the most brilliant performer out there it's really he's so
3: funny yeah he does it here oh that's right Yeah, he oh, right. does oh right here oh cool God. Oh, God. excellent so if you're ever here <laughs>
1: he's, the, he's the original the original incel that guy, that character is who knew we were had, heard on <laughs> the heard about incels but there's a line that we didn't put back in like where jillian's like uh let me guess there's some some what was it, like, about, you were, you were, your heart was broken or something in high school, and he goes, I guess uh, he said some name of some woman, and it was, That's right. yeah, we really, we really laid it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: Well, I think we have time for w- uh, one more question. Yeah. Go right here. Yeah. Thank you.
4: Uh,
3: sure. So, politics aside, I'm just wondering, as creatives, what is it that the two of you loved about Ghostbusters, and made you excited to make this movie.
2: I mean, you don't you have a story about seeing it in the theater for the first time? And yeah. You know?
1: Well, I, I was at USC Film School, and uh, the, we went opening night to, to Westwood. Didn't know anything about it, we just knew we loved the cast. Um, I don't think i even seen a trailer for it. And just was like, just blown away by how, because I, I had never seen something that was that funny, but that kind of smart at the same time, and yet silly at the same time. And I mean, I still one of the biggest laughs I've ever heard in the theater when is when Dan Aykroyd's trying not to think of anything, and then you go and you go like, "It's the same same old and then you cut to him walking. I mean, the place exploded. And so I think for me, it was always that's why I always kind of was like. If I could, that was the touchstone, if you could do that. So that's why when Amy planted that seed in my head, I'm like, this thing's just sitting there. It just, I, you know, even me, my, my dear wife, Lori, and you, know, you were right or not. She was going like, I don't know if you should do this. I'm gonna <laughs> take this on, this seems dangerous. I know, I, I know, I know, but I think we can do it. I think we can do it, so.
2: For me, um, I always look at that movie as like, almost like a magic magical, because for me, when I, now having like gone through these experiences like when i see a good movie i'm like god damn they did it because like i see how how many things have to come together to make a movie good and like that movie just all the different pieces that came together like dan ackroyd's genius just writing this crazy script and then you bring in harold Ramis, you know adding all of his genius sensibilities and then ivan having a vision for it and then Bill Murray, Peak Bill Murray, like just all those little things coming together to make this movie what it was. I mean, it's it's crazy. So I you know, I like everyone else, it was always one of my favorite movies and grew up watching it all the time in my family. But I think that's like everyone, <laughs> you know.
1: And Katie's a big horror movie fan. Yeah,
2: you. I also love horror movies so much. And uh, I feel like horror comedy is so hard to do well. Like sometimes it just comes off either not that funny or not that scary that you end up not getting either. And uh, and I felt like that, you know, the tension was always great, but the comedy was always great.
1: And, and the irony is these days it's really hard to get just straight up comedy made. All the comedies, the most successful comedies right now are horror yeah. I mean, Megan, that is a flat-out comedy. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's so funny. Yes. I love it. Yeah. So now you have got to kind of uh, bury the pillow on the peanut butter.
2: <laughs> you're right. But I, w- I wish there were more comedies. Like um, it's so there's not a ton of really great comedy directors. And like Paul is really um, not to embarrass you, but like you're s- really so great at being on set and bringing out the funniest in everyone. Like I used to like watch him go on set and you know talk to Melissa and they would joke around about and riff on what the line she could say and it was really kind of like a magical thing to watch and I think that's a very rare thing so I don't think that's why there's not a ton of comedies right now I think it takes a lot of special parts and he's one of them yeah.
0: That about wraps things up for ExtraPlasm this week. I want to say thank you once again to the Good Deed Corps, to Paul Feig, to Katie Dippold and the amazing people at Dynasty Typewriter for hosting a wonderful event that was an absolute joy to attend and to be able to talk with you about. If you want to find out more about the Good Deed Corps and the important work they do, you can, of course, go to gooddeedcore.org and check out their website and if you want to find out, you know, more about Dynasty Typewriter, if you're in the Los Angeles area, it's an amazing comedy theater that you can go check out. Go to DynastyTypewriter.com and find the events calendar because there's always something cool going on there. I also, of course, want to say thank you to Brendan Pierce of Baducci Studios, who provides our logo, as well as Vaporwave artist Magnavox, whose version of Ghostbusters we use each week as our theme song, and uh, we appreciate. And of course, I want to say thank you to you for listening to the podcast for being supporters of the show each week, for engaging me uh, and providing me with insights about what you have going on. It's been really fun over the last few weeks with the trailer coming out to get some feedback from you all. So keep that up. If you have anything you want to share with the podcast, you can of course reach me at Extraplasm on Instagram, on X, Extraplasm Podcast on Facebook, Extraplasm Podcast on YouTube, or of course via Gmail, Extraplasm Podcast at gmail.com. And one thing I will say as we approach the new movie uh, that would be really beneficial is there's a lot of new folks who came into the past week's episode uh, checking out information about the trailer. If you could leave a like or subscribe, um, well not a like and subscribe you could do that on YouTube, like and subscribes are good, but if you could also leave a five star review uh, on Apple, iTunes whatever we call that, Apple Podcasts Amazon, wherever you're getting the podcast it really does help folks to connect with the show, especially as we get into the new coverage of the new movie coming out. Uh, It's helpful to Help connect folks who are kind of coming back to the fold and looking for content to know where to get it. So, if you can leave those positive reviews to help out the podcast, I really appreciate it. Beyond that, um, have a great rest of your week. I'm excited to come back next week and give you some more coverage of what's happening with Ghostbusters content. It'll be a little more current. That won't be necessarily about a movie from 2016, but we had to have this conversation. It was a really cool event and it would have been a big miss to not cover it. So um, we'll see you again next week. And remember, as Ernie Hudson says, try to have fun and always keep on busting. Take care.